What's happening, weirdos? This is a very interesting episode. This is Ari Kagan, uh, a high school dropout who I was introduced to. <laughs> That's the first thing I say. I was very interested that he dropped out of high school because he's doing quite well for himself. So that was sort of my point of interest. But then I learned more and more about the guy. Very, very interesting fellow. Introduced to me by Adam McKay. Adam McKay said, I really think you should have this guy on. Uh, Adam's got a great nose for interesting people, and I'm so glad that I had Ari on, and I'm so glad that you guys are tuning in to listen to this chat. Ari is the host of his own podcast called Things You Don't Need to Know, which is wonderful and covers each week things you really don't need to know. We get into that uh, in this episode. He's also a prolific entrepreneur and uh, YouTuber as well, and I think he's destined for great things, and I'm so excited to have uh, a young, fresh, interesting voice here on the pod, and I'm so glad you guys are here to join. You're here to join. This We only have one Pete's pick for this episode, and it's our friends at Living Libation. So if you like this podcast and you want to show your support, Living Libations is a great way to do just that. Chances are, whether it's a big thing or a little thing, you probably need something body, skin, teeth, hair related, and Living Libations is my favorite skin Care, dental care company in the world. I love them. We have been a Living Libations family for many years now, and it happened because I was very being very careful about what I was putting in my body food-wise, but I realized I wasn't being very careful about what I put on my body. Of course, what we put on our body ends up in our body. Uh, your skin absorbs it. It gets into you. So I was buying uh, shaving cream and face washes that I thought were fancy and good because I was a Hollywood jerk and I went to expensive French stores in outdoor malls and I spent a lot of money on these fancy creams and I thought they were great because of all those things. I was like, this has to be the good stuff, but it's not. They're filled with chemicals. These companies don't give a shit about you. Chemicals linked to disease, toxicity levels never intended for the human skin. Why are we mindful of what we eat, but we don't really care or think too much about what we put on our skin, even though that ends up in our body as well? So I wanted to start using skincare products where I recognize the ingredients, where it's made from natural ingredients, things that I know and recognize as elements and oils from this earth, but are also badass and super effective and super efficacious 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 who cares how you say it? efficacious i think it's efficacious what i'm saying is <clears throat> i was using an exfoliating scrub that i would just get at cvs of course that's got like 5000 ingredients when i found living libations i started using their ginger exfoliating scrub it's got like 15 ingredients all of which i recognize it's made with plants and oils and extracts that are recognizable and real and natural, and it works. It's the most badass, powerful exfoliant I've ever used in my life, and I can feel good about what I'm putting on my skin. I also shave with their Zen Shave, which is their shave balm. So clean and natural and moisturizing, you can actually use a dab of it as aftershave. Try doing that with some anonymous neon blue goo shot from a pressurized can. And at night, both Val and I use their Best Skin Ever Moisturizer, 
I uh, love the way it makes my skin look. I like the way it smells. I like the way it feels. And that's what I do, part of my routine and Val's as well before bed. But chances are, whatever you need for your skin, your face, your body, your eyes, your teeth, even babies, we've got Leela on all sorts of Living Libations products that we love. Living Libations has a premium, natural, and wonderful product to replace the random chemical nightmare they're selling you at 7-Eleven. So, do your body, do your skin, do your teeth, do your eyes, do your hair a favor, and get yourself some Living Libations and show your support of this show. Go to livinglibations.com and use promo code WEIRD at checkout for 20% off. This is a great way to support. You could just go and get a tongue scraper. Boom! 20% off. Boom! Show your support of the podcast. Livinglibations.com, promo code WEIRD. I don't know. Uh, at, at checkout, 20% off. I don't know why I became zombie Jerry Seinfeld at the end of that ad. All right, guys. Enjoy Ari Kagan. Check out his podcast, Things You Don't Need to Know. And in the meantime, enjoy our lovely chat. With a, I love ones like this. I'm just dropped in. I don't know much, but I love a genuine, interesting, enthusiastic fella to meet my energy and just have a great, basically, first podcast friend date, which you're about to hear. Get into it. There you are. Hey, how's it going, Ari? Good. How are you? Good. I, uh, it's always weird hearing someone on a podcast that you've heard. You feel like you've spoken to someone, but then you... I feel like everyone says that. It's just like the generic comment. Oh, Ari, come on. Don't start like that. This is a safe space, and you are free to point out. It has come up a few times, but it's not what I would consider a trope. Or The, the trope is, or the cliche is, have we started? That's, that's the one that we get oh. almost every episode. But of course. we've pointed out somebody, I forget who said it. It was parasocial. It's where you think you're friends, but it's, it's one-sided. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know Mark Marin a little bit. Uh, well, I've known him for many years, but we're not like close. But listening to his podcast makes me feel like we're close. Uh, yeah. You know, so I, yeah. I, I know that phenomenon quite well. Where I mean, am I talking? Oh, go ahead. Uh, I do YouTube, so a lot of people come up to me and they're like, all right, wh- what do you think of this? And I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And it's just from like a video from three years ago that I don't uh, remember. That is sort of a heartbreaker, isn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> when I hear of like Mr. Rogers, I watched that documentary and he'd like remember everybody and he'd reply to all the fan mail or so the mythology goes. And then when someone comes up to me and they say something from a video I did, and, and, it's, a, and it's a line that clearly meant something to them. And I so in that moment want to be having like a basement giggle fest sleepover where we're just laughing at the same lines, but I can't get there. I can't, I don't know what they're talking about. So I, I just fake it. I don't know what you do. Do you fake it? Uh, no, usually I, I say something terrible. I'm like, what? Like <laughs> I've had people who I've met before and they're like, Hey, Ari, like, it's so nice to uh, see you again. And I'm like, we've met before. Yeah. It's just a terrible event. I, but, uh, I, no, hats off to that. I will feel dirty for a long time if I pretend to remember somebody I don't remember. Uh, so saying I don't have we met is actually, I think, the better choice. It might be a little weird, Hello? but who who cares? Oh, you just came back. How did it sound on your end, Katie? And That's really, weird. I'll try to lip read you then. 
<laughs> I don't think that's a good plan. Um, man. Well, we'll just keep we'll keep going, and if it keeps fucking up, we'll turn off the video. Okay, this, sounds that's, good. That'll be strike two, and if it keeps happening, we'll just turn off the video. Um, okay. So where am I talking to you from? This is exciting for me because I, I, I hope you don't mind. I don't know much about you other than McKay loves you, and so I enjoy, especially in these quarantine times, the novelty of talking to somebody that I don't really know and I don't know that much about. So it's with a spirit of excitement. I say, I don't know much about you. So you can kind of tell me anything. Why don't you start with, where are you right now? You're, you're in your home. I'm in my parents' house. Uh, I'm actually moving to Manhattan in a few weeks and everyone's like, why would you ever do that? And I'm like, well, why would you live here? <laughs> Which is like, everyone's moving here. Cause it's like upstate New York and it- everyone loves it. And it's beautiful. But to me, I've lived here my whole life, so it's just like a. I see all the blue tarps behind people's garages, <laughs> and the rundown like lawnmowers and dilapidated grills, and uh, the novelty of the novelty of of the leaves changing color for two weeks every year is just completely wasted essentially yeah and it's also only two weeks and you can take the metro yeah. north up and see it if you want yeah all right precisely. i lived in tarrytown for a brief time so i actually uh i apologize to our upstate new york listeners i'm not uh enchanted by upstate new york <laughs> it it sort of gives me like a weird eerie feeling and i start to get like almost like a nosebleed and i want to go back to the city to know that you're yeah. so close where where in upstate are you uh, I'm in uh, Stone Ridge, which I'm only telling you because I'm not going to be here in <laughs> a few weeks. But uh, it, it's like um, there are so few people in this town that you should know everyone, but somehow I only know three people. <laughs> like I know more people in the city than I know here. It doesn't. I don't know how that happened. But like, well, I didn't go to school. That was the big thing. I dropped out of school in eighth grade. I don't know if you were briefed on that. I got that. That was the literally the only question I have for you because I'd love to just know everything. But it feels like a really good place to start. Um, I know you have a podcast. What the name of it is? Uh, things you don't need to know. And if you're wondering what it's about, it's exactly as it sounds. <laughs> so. Well, what? What? I mean, other than basic survival, what do you really need to know? Uh, but. Well, apparently, a lot, apparently you need to know a lot, but apparently you also like I every week we run into the problem of I I have an idea and we're like, well, that kind of seems like something you need to know. <laughs> and then it's like, we can't do that. And then I'm like, so, we just end up doing it anyway, because what else are we going to do? Otherwise, like, I was just driving uh, back to my house this morning and I, I noticed like a, a road sign and I was like, well, we could do an episode about how road signs are made, but that's not very interesting. Like a machine <laughs> just presses it. So it's deciding what to make an episode on is, is uh, very easy and very hard at the same time. Because you really legitimately want it to be something you don't need to know. Yes. But at the same time, things that you legitimately don't need to know, there's a reason nobody knows them. <laughs> but it's also like, who is the you in that sentence? Because if, you know, for example, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about if I went back in time and uh, like, let's let's really go way back a few hundred years, three, four, five, six hundred years. But people are there. I would have no idea how to make a mirror. 
And then that would be like pretty frustrating to them. I'd be like, well, you know, this would be easier if we had a mirror and they'd be like, well, how do you do that? And I'd be like, I think you polish glass a long time. I think you just polish it and would be out there polishing glass and like, that's not how you make a mirror. So like, but also without time travel, depending on where and with whom you're with, you know, you'd need to know lots of different things. So every somebody needs to know everything you're saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, every week when I email guests for the show, I'm like, I don't want to say that it's a show about things you don't need to know because they've dedicated their whole career to this. So I'm like, it's a show about, like, it's a show about learning things. Right. And, uh, I just hope that they don't read the whole page and a half briefing about how it's things that you'll never, ever need to know ever. Right. That's really interesting. I just watched a YouTube video and it was really a really popular YouTube video and it was just lists of random facts. And I was really struck by how popular it was and also how sort of strangely satisfying to know that a group of crows is called a murder or whatever. Like that wasn't really one of them, but that's sort of the flavor of the facts like that's one of my random facts. Well, we I wanted to do episodes like that, but at the same time it's like that exists everywhere. So it's more of a I guess you've never heard it. I no one's ever heard it. I just I've been working on it for so long that I'm like, well, you know, in the episode where we we sell each other's souls, like that happens. <laughs> and uh but it's really just about like one thing. But that's not to say we won't eventually kind of be lost for one things and go to do random facts. So if right. you have any random facts, let me know. <laughs> I can't, uh, if I think of one, or I'm sure they'll come up in the course of the conversation. Well, it's funny. I also wrote down sell your soul. I have a lot of the topics from your podcast and obviously the best way to experience that would be to listen to the podcast, but I thought maybe mm-hmm. we could talk about them. Maybe starting with the fact that you're 19 and you dropped out of yeah. school at a time that I think most people don't even think that they're allowed to, I know dropping out of school is like breaking out of prison. So you're never allowed to break out of prison, but you don't hear a lot of people breaking out of prison during prison orientation. And that's basically what you did. You left at a time when it doesn't really occur to most people to be like, wait, this is just an institution and I'm a free human and I can leave. And I'm wondering about your parents and I'm wondering about the process. So really tell me about when you first started thinking about it, was it fifth grade? <laughs> uh, well, I I hate to go back a little bit. Am I the youngest person who's been on your show? I think you might be. I, I don't. I think Bo Burnham was probably like twenty two when he did it. I was thinking about whether or not you are, but I think you are. I think you hold that. I was, you know, at least I have that because I'm looking at the list. I I took a road trip, uh, the la- like a last week and one of the things that I like to do on road trips is listen to podcasts. And I knew I was coming on your show. So I was like, I'm going to listen to as many episodes as I can. Oh, wow. And I'm going through the list and it's like, uh, like Andy Sandberg, Conan, uh, John Mulaney. Like, and I'm like, wow, what do I listen to? And there are names like that. And then there's also names that I haven't heard of. And I'm like, I'm going to be one of those names. So, <laughs> well, you know, I hope you were wise and picked one of the lesser known names because those often, and I'm not just saying this because you fall into that group. Those are often the gems. Those are the treasures. You know what I mean? Like when you talk to Conan, and that was a great episode, sort of like, speaking of institutions, you're talking to somebody who's responsible for hundreds of jobs. So he's not necessarily going to want to tell you, um, not that Conan has, I I wouldn't know, 
but that he robbed a liquor store or something. You know what I mean? Like he, he has more riding on his name. Same with Andy Samberg. You know, they're going to be walking a, a finer line. The way that I relate to that is when I, I did a, a commercial campaign for E-Trade and then when I would be doing comedy shows with other comedians, they'd make fun of E-Trade and it was being recorded for a podcast and I'd start to sweat because I'm like, this could cost me my job. And like the more E-Trades you have, the less candid, natural, organic your conversation is going to be. So the people that are like either in your position um, – I'm saying you're just starting out because you're going to do far greater things. I believe you're doing wonderful things now, but like you're a young man, that's really an exciting and fertile time to talk to somebody as opposed to talking to Ari when you're 35 and you have 2,800 people on your payroll. And now you have to be a little bit political in how you do a conversation. I prefer this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice. I already have like certain things where like, you know, I can't say that this brand is better than the other one, even though I use the one that I'm not promoting. <laughs> you mean your sponsors? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, luckily, I don't. I haven't run into anything like that yet. But I, you know, you start to think about it, and you start to get a little concerned. Like, oh, I can't make a joke about that. Well, for sure. Yeah, it's a little so, political, right? So, when did you first start thinking about it? Andy Sandberg's and Conan's aside, who cares? Oh, you were saying you listened to a bunch. What did you choose? Yeah. I chose Conan. Yeah. <laughs> good choice. He told yeah, that great story. Episode. That story where he says, you know, your house burned down. What a tragedy. Perhaps. Did you hear that story? I did. I've always kind of lived by that story. So, Is that right? Yeah. I think, you know, my dad was into like all sorts of, he's actually bringing me a sandwich soon. So maybe he'll <laughs> make a cameo. <laughs> but he would, he was into like a lot of, like, I don't, I don't, I'm going to say something wrong here, but Sufi things and, and old, um, I don't know, philosophers and whatnot. And we had a book that was actually that story. And I believe it was like the farmer finds a pot of gold and then the gold, you know, gets stolen or like the, the farmer's son breaks his leg and then he can't go to the war. And it's kind of the same right. like, give and take of, uh, story. I would like to see that story for the, just so for people that didn't listen to the Conan episode and haven't heard me say it, I've said it many times, really quick, guy breaks his leg. Oh, that's what a tragedy. And he always says, perhaps. And then there's a war and there's a draft and then his son can't go to war. And they go, oh, how wonderful. Your son doesn't go to war now because he has a broken leg. And he goes, perhaps. And then like there's a forest fire and his son dies in the fire. You can You can really improvise it however you want. And then everything is greeted with perhaps things that seem fortuitous and seem things that seem like tragedies. I really want that story to replace people saying everything happens for a reason because it has a much more. I hate that. Phrase. Me too. I hate everything happens for a reason. Me too. Everything happens and you're interpreting. No one knows what reason. That's it. Oh, I'm completely with you. And you're, but that story is more instructive to an attitude of like, we don't know where this is going. And that's taking a story away Eckhart Tolle says saying I'm ruined because you lose all your money is a story and creates a lot of suffering, but I have 50 cents in my bank account is a fact. It's impartial. It's not as emotional and you can move with it. You can work with it. Like you can move forward from that point. Um, so I like that story and I wish people would stop saying everything happens for a reason and say, Oh my God, you lost your job. What a tragedy. And we can say, perhaps, is it your dad? Yeah. It is. He's here. He doesn't have the sandwich, though, which is rather disappointing. How do you know? 
Uh, he doesn't have it in his hand. Oh, it's in the other room, apparently. <laughs> um, so, oh, this is all on headphones, so you won't be able to hear it. He's, he waves me away. Um, <laughs> and he waves so, me away. The, what were we, what were we You were saying about? you were on a road uh, trip, so, and then that was sort of the yes. telling me your attitude towards yes. coming on. Well, we started with school somehow, but now we're here. Well, the first time so you thought funny. about dropping out that's that's when we were kind of driving out yeah um so oh anything happens for a reason let's just continue on the the train of thought because i I might not remember this again (laughs) so when i got this the this this pod this is i I met my dad and i actually went to sneaker con which is like comic con but for failed drug dealers (laughs) and um it's a whole bunch of guys who are like it's a whole bunch of guys who are selling sneakers and and trading sneakers and we were there because i would i had become really popular on youtube for making videos about sneakers like reviews and whatnot and more specifically making fun of this one kid because i thought that he made terrible videos (laughs) uh so i met him and then like we're just walking around you met the kid you made fun of how was that initial meeting was it weird um it was i think well he copyright striked one of my videos for what is that oh i see clips uh which technically is covered under like fair use copyright but that's a that's like a vague law. So, you know, we met and like, he's like, oh, we're all cool. And I'm like, dude, like, he's like, we're making a video soon. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> so there's this great photo. There's this great photo of him just like with the biggest, cheesiest grin and thumbs up. And I'm, I just kind of look like, uh, like almost like Kanye in every photo where he's just really straight faced and just looks pissed <laughs> off, whatever it is. Yeah, sure. Um, but anyway, so we met this kid and then we're walking around like we, my dad's like, we'll do another lap. So we walk around as we're about to leave and we run into this guy who's um, like a subscriber of my of my YouTube channel. And he's wearing this this jacket, which is by a company by the name of V-Loan. It's like a big orange V. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's I would have thought that was Valvoline. it's basically like it's like a a play on the word alone but instead of an a it's a v okay so now we're smoking dope yeah (laughs) the 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 thing is though the the guy who started the company is allegedly a rapist so i was like nice rapist jacket and he's like (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry. Is this a different guy? This isn't your. No, you, this is not this, the guy I made fun of. This is just some this guy. Is another made. guy. And you go, hey, nice rapist jacket. Yeah. And, he's <laughs> and like, he said, leave he's me like, alone. Oh, no way. I, I work for the company. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. So, um, as it turns out, though, he doesn't Wait. work for the company. <laughs> okay. Uh, but he didn't say it as a joke. Like he was, uh, he was legitimately a pathological liar. So in the first like 20 minutes that I met him, he's going on about how like his mom has lung cancer and he went to rehab for like DMT and, and all this other stuff. And we're like, <laughs> who, get, <laughs> we're like oh, who gets hooked on DMT? I've never heard that in my life. He was like 19. Uh, so my age now. He's like, yeah, he's he's like so we think obviously oh this is a pretty cool guy let's go get ramen with him, so we did, 
And, uh, you know, he talks about how he's like VIP at Louis Vuitton and all this other stuff. And we ended up becoming friends. And of course, like when you're first meeting someone, I tend to somehow meet a lot of people who are legitimately VIP at Louis Vuitton or something like that. So to me, it just was not that strange. Yeah, sure. But uh, as time goes by, you realize that, well, this maybe this guy's not telling the truth entirely. <laughs> so uh, it, it kind of all com- um, culminates in me going out to California to, to see him. And, um, he's, sorry, he's living... <laughs> what, what about this man appealed to you? Did you really just want some Louis Vuitton or are you leaving out charisma and likability? Cause he just sounds like a, a lying weirdo. Oh, no, he was, he was, he had a lot of charisma. He was very likable. A lot of people except my friends really liked him. Uh, <laughs> I'm picturing Justin Timberlake in the social network. Like you, you didn't, yes, you didn't know. Much. Okay. That's exactly. That's exactly what it's like. Okay. So, um, you know, I go out to, to see him for like a month. Like it was like a long time. And that was the nice thing about not going to high school. Cause you're like, yeah, I'm just going to leave and I'm going to meet some dude. I don't really know. <laughs> and, um, and your dad's cool with this by now. He sort of understands your style. Yeah. This is just like, this is a normal thing. So I go out, so I go out to see him and his, his family will the, the truth is I'd, I'd seen him a few times in between. Like I didn't just go out and live with him. Like we met each other in Vegas at something that I was filming for uh, a company. And then I saw him again in Chicago at another one of these events uh, that, that we were doing like press for, or I don't know what you would call it, but what, making YouTube videos. What was he doing press for? Uh, he was just there. Cause he was like, <laughs> you know, just, just felt like going. I don't know. <laughs> He was on a hoverboard, wasn't he? I think I got this guy nailed. So, and then he's just not, there. Not entirely, but yeah. That's the, that's the one okay, sure. So he's like, you know, he's going to all these places and we're seeing him here and there. And like, he's a cool guy. Like he came up with a bunch of really good ideas for, for videos and he's funny and we're, com- you know, we bounce ideas off each other and it's, it's, it's nice. So I decide to go out and, and live with him. And his his mom. <laughs> so what, it's another, just happening another, so fast. <laughs> this is over the span of like uh, four or five months. And to be clear, you didn't know he was a pathological liar. No, I had no idea. Yeah. But I really should have known because one time he said that he played for the Junior Sharks uh, hockey team, and they practice by forcing everyone to uh, to to wear their hockey gear in a swimming pool for eight hours and do like squats and push-ups underwater. And I really should have seen that, but I don't know anything about hockey. So I was just like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, oh they're my God. Yeah. If you told me that I wouldn't be like, get out of here. Cause I don't know anything about it. Okay. So, uh, Oh, another one where this is hilarious. So we're just like in, <laughs> I forget where we were, but he's just talking and he's like, Oh yeah. Me and, uh, me and Larry, actually, I used to, we used to talk and we're like, who's Larry? And he's like, oh, uh, Larry Ellison of Oracle. And we're oh. like, what? <laughs> like, but the thing was, though, his parents worked for Oracle. Like, were legitimately, like, executives at Oracle. So it just, it was like, it was believable. Yeah, sure. So I go out and I live with them. And they live in this massive house in, uh, in like, Palo Alto. 
and you know they're they're nice people great people and uh every morning his mom would make like a nice korean breakfast for me and which was weird know, because they were swiss <laughs> so, okay. no she's actually korean okay but, so, you know like kimchi and all this other stuff and about 20 or 30 days into the trip i'm like hang on a second this woman is supposed to have lung cancer like oh, this right. is not possible so, you know, one morning I'm like, do you mind if I ask you like a rather personal question? Cause we'd become quite good friends at this point. I'd talk to her every morning for like an hour. <laughs> and I just find that funny. You're making friends with the mom, you're hanging out, eating kimchi. And then you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to dig a little deeper on Sean Parker's story. Not actually Sean Parker. Yeah. So I'm like, like, do you have lung cancer? And she's like, <laughs> who tells you this? And I'm like, oh, your son. And she's like, oh, everything with him, 50-50. <laughs> oh, my. From the mom. And if yeah. she's if she's calling it 50-50, it's probably 30-70. That is crazy. Yeah. Well, everything kind of what – I, what I gathered was that everything that he came up with kind of was a – uh, it was an extension of the truth. So there was always like something at the core of it that started it. And then it would be like, I like to think of it as like, I call it Elon Musk theory, which is something that I made up, which is it's more specific to Palo Alto where like, let's say your uncle knows Elon Musk. Right. And then you say you bring it up at a conversation sometime and then someone else is like, oh, yeah, I know a guy whose uncle knows Elon Musk. And you're like, oh, that's cool. That's like six degrees of separation. And then that person at that table says, oh, I know a guy whose uncle knows Elon Musk. And then before you know it, you're 30 or 40 people down the line. And that guy knows a guy who knows Elon Musk. So it's like it suddenly becomes much closer than it actually is. Right. It's yeah. a good way if you're going to be a pathological liar. And I don't want to encourage anyone to do it. It is good to riff off of the truth. So you don't have absolutely nothing because this is what is this? I, this is like your episode of your podcast, how to be a pathological liar. It's like, I'm sure it'll be an episode eventually. Then you can riff kind of, and give them just enough like dirty John. Did you watch dirty John or the podcast? No. Just, no. just these uh, con artists would sort of riff in an area that if pushed, they could provide some sort of, friend of a friend who actually does know Oprah and, mm -hmm. and then impossible just when you're about to call the cops, Oprah comes over and you're like, yeah. what the fuck? And like, keep you in the, that, in the that was, tornado. That was exactly what happened. And it was pretty much like, I have a friend, Zach, who's, who's one of my best friends. And he, he was always like, no, there's like, there's something off about this guy. <laughs> you gotta have that and, guy. <laughs> gotta have the friend that's like, you don't see it. You're not seeing this guy clearly. Which, by the way, um, is Eduardo in the social network. He's going, this guy's crazy. You don't need this guy. Yeah. 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 And, and essentially, like, he would say things that I just, I just wouldn't know. Like, he claimed to have, like, a C63 AMG Mercedes. And we're like, <laughs> no, he doesn't. And then I get there, and he does. But right. I don't realize that it's a C43. So I call Zach, and I'm like, Zach's like, does he actually have that car? And we're like, and I'm like, yeah, he does. He's like, look at the back, and it's a different car, mm. which is still like a sixty thousand dollar car. But uh, to us, it was like, it, to me, it was just impressive that he had the thing. But to Zach, it was like, 
no, you know, he said something different. And it's like, well, he might have misspoken. Oh, my God. We're back to how you can't prove anything. Like, And now it's like, we don't know. So that's kind of how that all happened. But the point is, he, when you're a pathological liar, it's easy to become great friends with anyone because you can instantly have something in common with them. Yeah. Right. So like for you right now, like I see there's a mic stand or something behind you. Yeah. Uh, I invented the mic stand. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, did you see Romy and Michelle's high school reunion? I can't believe I've seen it. It, Although uh, Lisa Kudrow is wonderful. They go to their high school reunion and they're embarrassed that they're not successful so they go around telling everybody that they invented post-it notes. It's sort of in the same, they wanted to pick something so specific, but then at the reunion, they meet someone that's like, no, I'm a business major. Like the guy at 3M and they knew his name invented post-it notes and they knew the story. So it is a little tricky as soon as you, and this is why we're interested in these people. As soon as you tell me you invented the mic stand, I'm like, wait, this kid's 19. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that would be an easy exactly. one to blow out of the water. Exactly. But you could then you could be like, no, I mean the ones that bend at the top. There's different fits at the top. Like I invented this mm-hmm. type of clip, and I have the patent. And then you show me a patent, and I don't know what patents look like. And I'm like, and then Oprah shows up, and I'm in, I'm yeah. getting it's a big snow job. Like I don't know where I am. Everything's white and confusing. Exactly. Yeah. So you know it's easy to get caught up in. But anyway, so he meets he's he meets all sorts of people, and one of the people that he ended up meeting was. Uh, someone at USF who ended up, I ended up becoming much closer with him than, than this guy. And we actually, that was kind of how we busted him. Cause he told this kid that his, that he was a, a video editor for uh, Shane Dawson. Who's like a very popular YouTuber and uh, Leo, the, this, this new person's name asks me, you know, like, is he really an editor for Shane Dawson? And I'm like, fuck no, I edit all his YouTube videos. Like he's <laughs> terrible. He can't edit at all. <laughs> And that was kind of how it started. <laughs> so Leo edited all them. No, I did. I you do? Uh, yeah. Oh, so you yeah. knew it was a lie right away. I knew it was a lie, but he told Leo that and Leo asked me. Oh, I'm it sorry. It gets confusing on audio. Yeah, no, I get it now. But so now the jig is up and you know this guy's like kind of a... At least semi-full of shit, yeah. So as time <laughs> goes by, we ask we ask all of all of... Leo's roommates who now know this kid as well. And we're like, um, you know, what has he told you? And they're like, all of these things. And like, he's told us completely different things. So. Oh my God. We we finally confronted him on it. And he's like, Oh, you know, like, um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I do that. Like it's all because I, I have perfect pitch and I play the piano so well that I, I, I have to come up with with other things to be good at because it's like the only thing that I'm good at. And we're like, okay, that makes sense. Does it? <laughs> that is the most. No, not at all. That is the weirdest. And he's sort of, it's almost like a humble brag. He's like, yeah, I do lie, but it's because I have perfect pitch and that intimidates the rest of my life, my genius with pitch. Yes, absolutely. And, and he does have perfect pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Oprah showing up. Yes, he does have perfect pitch. Whoa. So did you cut it off? Are you still friends with this guy? Uh, So we were like, after we confronted him, we were going to another like large convention. And at this point I was like, I guess very popular in the, in the genre of 
of, of YouTube that I was in. So everyone kind of recognized me. This is also sneakers. And yes. Yeah. So, so we go to an event and I'm like, like you can't keep making up these lies because it's terrible for, it's terrible for, for me. Cause it drives me crazy. And it's also terrible for our image as, you know, professional, I don't know, whatever we do. So, so we're walking around and he's like, yeah, absolutely. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything. We run into someone and immediately the person's like, Oh, like, I love this video that you made. And I'm like, thank you. And he's like, he's like, yeah, like, you know, we worked on that a lot. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I made that video a year before I met him. (laughs) He did it in front of you. Yes. He just started lying again after being called out in front of you, knowing that you would, this really is helping me see pathology or pathology is sometimes involuntary. It's this guy can't seem to help. He can't stop. Yeah. So I, I called him out in the moment. I was like, you didn't help with that. And he was like, well, you know, I did other stuff. And uh, <laughs> what's so troubling is I'm like, this kid's going to be fine. Like he'll probably be a success. He'll either oh, yeah. be fine or completely destitute. I don't think there's a middle for this person. No, like, he'll, he'll be totally fine. He'll be yeah. totally fine. One day I'll look him up and he'll be like CEO of Enron or something, which just <laughs> fell apart. Did I say Enron earlier? I meant Oracle. I might. Yeah, you did say Enron, but any yeah, big company, I understand. Enron, Enron fell apart. Yeah, it's not there anymore. But Oracle works. Oracle yeah. works. Yeah. So, so keep going. So anyway, so I ended up um, at the end. Basically, what it, what it finished in for me was I had gotten him like a VIP pass for the whole thing, and I was like, "Can I have my pass?" back i want to go in into this booth because they're only letting you into certain areas if you have the special pass and so he's like no and i'm like like why not like just slip it off your wrist and he's like it's not possible it won't come off and i'm like can i do it like i have a little straw you can slip it in it's like a like a concert band yeah and he's like no and he just started yelling at me in front of like 30 people like in a line at this thing and i was like this is ridiculous like <laughs> so Oh, Finally, no. after after the event, I was like, listen, man, like I, I just can't I can't keep doing this. And I haven't spoken to him since. That is like, what is the play? Like, what is the long term play of this guy? Like, it's that's just going to keep happening. Like, even yeah. if you say I invented the mic stand, as soon as I catch you in that lie, what you really need is a good host. If you're a parasite, you need a really good host. And you need somebody with like a, a hyper exaggerated capacity for self-delusion. And that's where, you know, it's like a con person looking for a mark. You need somebody that really, I'm not making light of it, but has like battered wife syndrome. That's like always going to like pathologically forgive and extend like way too much understanding, even though they have their friends that are like your friend, Zach, that's like, get away from this guy. But what an interesting, and it all started with a jacket. So why do you, why do you love sneakers? Is there a reason you love sneakers? Um, I not really. I just like I kind of just it was a way to make a little bit of money, and I thought that some of them were cool, and I wanted to know about it, so I just like got into it. And you were selling them. Yeah, yeah. So you and would I track down them. rare sneakers and and mark yes. them up, like flipping houses. You'd find exactly. okay yeah. a shoe and mark it up. 
So I just kind of fell down the rabbit hole and ended up making videos about it because I'd always kind of made videos. And I was like, well, I'll just make videos about this. Like, I like this. Yeah. So, uh, I, I need to go back. You're, you're so interesting. I'm interested in, like, when you started making videos. But I'm also really interested, okay, which happened first, realizing you wanted to drop out of school or making videos? School, for sure. I'd wanted okay. to leave school since since kindergarten. Tell me about your relationship to school, first day, kindergarten. Like, what is it about Ari? Am I saying Kagan? Kagan, right? Yes, you got it right. It's shit in Spanish, roughly. Yeah. Kagan? Yes. Is it? Yeah. I thought that was mierda. Uh, it's like a slang term. Oh. Well, what fun. Yes. <laughs> we had a brand We had a brand call the other day, and they were like, check it out uh, at, at our website slash Kagan. And I was like, we should probably change that. Oh, my God. It's like the Chevy Nova didn't sell in Spanish-speaking countries yeah. because yeah. it means doesn't go. Um, and yours means shit. But maybe that's kind of like funny. <laughs> it's like it's the, it it's, yeah. it's like ironic and, and tongue-in-cheek or whatever. I, um, I think for me it's great, but for a brand, maybe not. I hear that. <laughs> okay. So tell me the Ari Kagan resistance to school. Like you get there, you're not won over by the paste and the friends and the recess and the nap time. You just, it was it just like a, a, a gut resistance to being told what to do. Just tell me what it was. Um, I think it was very fashionable to hate school. It was like, uh, like, I don't like it here. <laughs> and, um, and what I are you kinda, in for my abcs yeah. what are you in for fractions <laughs> yeah that's exactly so um i i just kind of stuck with it because i didn't like being there and i just didn't a lot of it was we would learn something and i would be like why do we need to know this and here i am so <laughs> You, but you wanted to be the person teaching. Yeah. I can relate. I meaning when I was a kid, I saw the teachers, and I was much more interested in the teachers than I was the other kids. Um, mm -hmm. Meaning, I was like, "How do I?" Because that's show business. Like they're not making videos, but they're doing show business. They're putting on a little educational show, and that always seemed like I wanted to like you being friends with the mom. I wanted to be friends with the grownups. I bet more than I even had little buddies, I think. Was it part of that? Like you wanted to do what they were doing? Um, well, I would eventually, but no, not necessarily. I, yeah. I just wanted to, I liked doing whatever at home and I wanted to keep doing whatever at home. And what were you doing at home that school was interrupting? I don't even know. You know, I'm just like playing, <laughs> playing with Legos or something. I have no clue. Yeah. Let, let me ask my dad. What did I do at home before school? We used to do those hour-long projects. We did trains and Legos. We used to build a lot of like cardboard and duct tape stuff. But you were so, building. You were like engineering. You were doing yeah, sort I was of an engineer. Yeah, <laughs> I just mean you know I'm always getting. I have a two-year-old. I'm always getting her Legos and stuff like that. If you do have toys and the kids are drawn to certain toys, you go like, oh, this is promising. Like they see structure they see yeah. order they understand support systems they don't just knock it down don't get me wrong it's fun to build up blocks and knock them down and i like that she does that but when i see her lighting like i always remember the kids that had like the electricity kits that would like 
teach them about how to send a, 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 a whatever electricity from one point to another to light up a light bulb. And I'm like, this is what you do for fun. I'm over here farting in Pringles cans. So you were doing like sort of smart, smart stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like your brain was engaged. Allowed, I wasn't allowed to watch Disney channel. I always wanted to be an actor on Disney channel. Cause I thought that they weren't very good and I thought that I could do it. I'd agree um, with that. I haven't acted. <laughs> I haven't acted at all since, or even thought about it. Yeah, uh, but I was very interested in like television shows about building casinos or like massive ships or dams. Yeah, or you know, anything that was a huge structure and incredibly complicated. And I was just like, oh yeah, like everybody grows up and and builds hotels. Uh, <laughs> Did you were you kind of building hotels, like trying to go, well, the yeah. lobby needs to be reachable to the VIP cabanas because Absolutely. those people <laughs> no, like Every- to what extent? To what extent? Were you like room service needs to be near the high end rooms because it needs to be fast? <laughs> like what what every week I would pitch my dad on a new scheme of how we could put together some like cardboard that we had laying around to build like a three story hotel in the backyard and he'd be like, That's a good idea. We should think about that. <laughs> Would you do it? Uh, I would. I would do it the most that I could myself. But let's just say our our main funders would always drop out right at the last minute. <laughs> dad, <laughs> I know he can't hear me. Fuck you, Dad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Your dad sounds lovely. I'll hear him. I'll hear him. When he listens. <laughs> Is he involved in your business? Does he like help with this? Um, not in the podcast. No, he, he, right now he's helping out with something else where we, uh, we basically just price gouge things. So again, like the sneakers. Yes, exactly. You figured out capitalism basically. Yeah. I can, I want you to talk about price gouging. I want you to talk about raising the price on sneakers and I'm going to load you with this thought. Whenever I watch shark tank, and they go, okay, I've invented a clip for your tie. Uh, but it it's, releases a fragrance and people love it. And then they get to the part where they're like, how much does it cost? And they're like, we sell it for $49.95. They're like, how much does it cost to make it? And they're like, 15 cents. And then Mr. Wonderful is like, are you doing it domestically? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, well, we can do that in China for four cents. And we're at home. We're the idiots that pay $49.95. Yeah. And we know it costs four cents to be made in China, perhaps even in conditions we wouldn't approve of. But we, we, most people talk about imperfect pitch. We just block that out. Like I've ordered something that I'm watching on Shark Tank on Amazon while I'm watching it, even though I know the markup is 7,000%. And like, it, like business to me, and maybe a brain like yours, seems to be the people that go like, Wait, what? Like, people are okay with that. Not only are they okay with that, but you can survey them and be like, it was worth $49.95. I smell like lavender and my my tie stays in place. But, like, can you relate to that feeling of, like, why hasn't anyone else figured out that this is, like, the biggest scam in all of reality is that you can take something that's worth $0.04 cents and sell it for $50? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to do an episode on this. Because uh, I think it's it's really fascinating, and I'll probably eventually do one. But I think what it comes down to is you, you're being ripped off in every way, ever, everywhere. <laughs> so, like, you go to the grocery store, you go to the grocery store, 
What was wait, last time you went to the grocery store? What was something you picked up? Frozen cherries. Perfect. So, how much did you pay? Four ninety nine, five ninety nine. It was pro- and they're organic, so it was probably like five or six bucks. Yep. Okay. So, how much did it cost them? The store, right? Probably cost the store three dollars, maybe three fifty if they're paying a lot. Maybe they got it for two because they got a lot a good price. How much did the people that sold to the store pay for it? Like, how much did the the distributor pay for it from the manufacturer? Yeah. So then it's like, well, they probably paid a dollar. And then it's like, well, how much did they pay the farmers? Uh, 10 cents, 50 cents. So you are literally being ripped off unless you are the person who makes the thing, which at that point you probably paid too much for the wood that you used to build it at every single point. Right. So that's something with other comedians. I'm always telling them whenever someone is paying you, this sounds so obvious. Whenever someone's paying you something, just remember they're making more. Because when I yeah. you, I work in words and ideas, so you're like, I can't believe I'm selling this idea. I'm like, well, if someone will give you $1,000 for that idea, they're going to make $10,000. That's just something helpful to keep in your pocket so you can get rid of this artist G-shucks thing. They're also going to sell the idea and the words and they'll make more. And the the idea of like making your own TV show or writing your own stuff or owning the stuff – is what every artist seems to do because they realize, wait, I could grow my own cherries or at least I could be the manufacturer or at least I could get rid of the co-pack or at least I could build my own store or whatever it is. We're talking about the same thing? Yeah. Uh, in, a, in a more real world example. So I'm moving in, in three weeks or so and I, I really want – I've always wanted an Eames chair, which is like this – I don't know. You've probably seen it. It's like that classic chair with an ottoman that sits at like 45 degrees or something. And it's supposed to be like the perfect feat of engineering. <laughs> uh, but they cost like $5,000. So sure. I can't afford that. So I'm like, I'll go and I'll get an exact knockoff of the thing for 700 bucks. And I'm like, that's really expensive. But at the same time, it's like, I really want this thing. I've waited a long time to get one. I'm just going to buy it. I'm also a big believer in like, get the thing that you really want uh, and don't waste your time and money on garbage that you don't care about. Cause right. at the end of the day, it's just a thing. And like, if it costs more, you may as well just get the better version. Which is interesting. So, Cause it sounds like you're about to buy the $700. That's version. correct. Yes. So <laughs> the, thing about the, the thing about the $700 version is that it costs them like $300. So I'm thinking to myself, like, well, I know where they get it. They get it on Alibaba, which is like the Chinese version of Amazon, essentially. So I go on Alibaba and I find like 30 different sellers who are selling it anywhere from $200 to $350, but you have to buy 10 of them. So I'm thinking to myself, should I just buy 10 and just sell the rest? Oh, my God. See, some people, I have it for jokes. Meaning like a, a hyperactive interest in certain areas that other people would just can't be bothered. And you mm-hmm. seem to have this super beneficial um, zest or a yearning or a level of energy and interest. People have a hard time manufacturing the will to do things. It's not that we don't know that exercise and diet is good. We just don't have the will to do it or quitting smoking or realizing wait, there's probably a Chinese Amazon called Alibaba and you're about to buy 10 chairs. I'm just fascinated and I'm complimenting your, it's energy sounds like too cheap of a word, but like there's a life energy that goes, wait, 
Most people would hit a threshold. It would get too overwhelming. Now I have 10 chairs. Where am I going to keep them? Will I be able to find buyers? Fuck off. Like, and I do this in my own life. Could I be making more money on my podcast or on my shows or whatever? Probably. Am I too lazy? Do I hire somebody here, hire somebody there? Definitely. That's like the American way is to go like, yeah, but I could have more time farting on the couch if I just do this. But, but you're like, no, screw that. I'm going to, what did you do? Did you buy 10? I haven't bought them yet because I'm 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 I hit that wall where I was like usually I would do it but <laughs> I'm at a point I'm at a point where I have uh, an entire like half basement full of things and I'm like I'm not even gonna live here anymore I really can't put ten more chairs here so <laughs> now I really want you to do it because if you did do it so now you have ten three hundred dollar chairs that are replicas of $5,000 chairs, that means a schmo like me, well, you really have to know your your buyer, but like an average person, not a, a, a Hollywood fancy, would probably pay $700, right? So now you're making $500 per chair. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to do it in this case. I, I think about it because I feel like I'm just like, I'm getting ripped off. I can't do this. Like, this is ridiculous. So I might just do it, especially now that you've told me that you think it'd be funny because I, I sometimes I'll do something just because I think it's funny. Um, it is pretty funny, but it's also funny that you're 19 and you're like, that would be, I can't do the math. So well, it'd be $5,000. Well, $4,500. You'd make $4,500 yeah. by, yeah. by basically being inconvenienced and thinking about a problem for maybe 20 minutes. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, so, inconvenience plus twenty minutes, forty five hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, uh, of course. You know, then you have to ship the thing, and that takes an hour and a half. You're but right. There's, there's some cost. A, there's a lot more to it. But you're yes. probably going to clear thirty five hundred. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. So, but I don't know. Part of me is like, let me just pay for that convenience, and I think that that's what a lot of it is. Is there something that you can buy? Like I bought. I wish I had one to show you. Can you actually, can you grab one of those little Bitcoins? It's in this box right there. One over, one over. Yeah, thank you. Uh, throw me one that's that's not open. Sorry, this is I love it for podcasts, but you'll you- you'll see it and no one else will. The, uh, it's um it's like, reach down a little bit. It, you'll see that there's one that doesn't have a, a case. Maybe not. It should be gold. Yes. There we go. I okay. didn't. I didn't even know there were physical bitcoins. Is that what there we're aren't. about to speak? There aren't. This is a replica. <laughs> oh, so that's it. Yeah. Uh, this cost me sixty cents, and I bought two hundred of them. Uh huh. For everyone who can't see this, it's just like a. It's, a, it's imagine like a large silver dollar that's gold, and instead of a, an eagle, it's a large bee. Yeah, the Bitcoin. It looks like what Scrooge McDuck uh, bathes in. It's like a bunch exactly, of yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I got two hundred of these, and I sell them for five bucks. So, there's quite a markup on those. <laughs> I just and and the people buying it. My father is a good case study for you. He told me it was like a value of our family, and I still do it. He goes, if it was worth it to you, it was a fair price. Like he, I've heard exactly. him say that a million times. Yeah. So he'll buy a canoe. It's always something like a canoe. And my dad doesn't canoe. 
but he's in Maine and he sees a canoe. And the guy says, this is the same kind of canoe John F. Kennedy had when he came up to Kenny Bunkport. And my dad gets bought into the story and he wants to be JFK. So he buy in some regards, and then he buys the canoe. Um, and then somebody's like, that canoe is only worth a thousand dollars. And my dad, let's say spent $3,000. He'll calm himself down. You have the exploited group almost willing to be so exploited like to the point where it's not even burdened on you the seller to make me the buyer feel better now that i know i spent five times what more than five times what you paid for the bitcoin because i go but yeah i have this shiny bitcoin it's almost like the world of matter physical matter always beats the world of ideas because when you say, but I made $3 or $4.40 from that, um, that's an idea. But the coin is something I'm holding and the canoe is something in my dad's garage filled with cobwebs. Mm-hmm. And that always beats out some lofty thought experiment that I'd rather watch the Big Bang Theory. Is, is that kind of <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it all started because I'm making a video about Bitcoin and I'm like, I need a Bitcoin prop. And it was like five bucks. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm not paying that. But I would have totally bought it if it didn't take like three weeks for it to arrive. Cause like they're shipping it from China. So for me, it's like, why don't I just get them from China and ship them myself? Wow. And that was kind of how that, that happened. But so you can just go, back, go to Alibaba.com. I mean, like, do you need, Oh yeah. Well, you got to negotiate with sellers. Like it's kind of a pain. That's why nobody does it. Yeah. And you have to like, they'll send you like, we can do two for three or one for four. And, and you're just like, what? Like <laughs> you got to like translate it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, not all of them, not all of them speak English, obviously. So you got, it's kind of like they, they speak. It's very nice of them to actually respond to you in English. Cause yeah. like if I was them, I would just translate it on Google translate and send back something that was like, that's probably what they do, honestly. But uh, it's nice of them to do that. But at the same time, they don't speak perfect English and you got to negotiate a little bit. Like they wanted a dollar twenty, and I was like, I'll do, you know, I'll do 60 cents and I'm taking a huge risk here. So. <laughs> wow. So it really is a little bit more like a bizarre feel. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like Amazon is like, that's the price. Alibaba is like. Well, you know, <laughs> for you, for you. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And of course it's like, well, how much are they paying? So then it, they, well, if they're selling you for it, 60 cents, well, we're back to our original. I know this. I hope people are yeah. interested in this because I'm fascinated in this because it's one of the fundamental principles of our world that we spend so little time thinking about. Because I think when people are like, I'm going to talk to you about business, it just sounds and seems boring, but I'm like, we're really talking about the fundamental manipulation of reality that we just take as a foregone thing, that things cost to us more than what they cost to those that they made. And that's, that's the basis. And then you're, when did you, what was your first foray into that? Was it sneakers? Uh, I sold erasers with faces on them in third grade. Third grade. You're like the kid that figured out that some pennies are made of copper, so they're worth more than a cent. Yeah. So let's get a thousand of those pennies and sell them to the copper people. But yours was erasers. Yes. Tell me yeah, what that idea was. 
compared to pennies. <laughs> unless you're, you know, unless unless you want to erase a secret note that someone passed you across. Or in, unless you're in third grade. I mean, they don't care about pennies. Yeah. They want erasers. So what was the idea? You you were like, hey, I'm noticing a trend in funny erasers? I started it, actually. I was like, I just, like, drew a face on an eraser, and I was like, this is George. Uh, he's ah! $1.50. Get the, get the fuck out of here. So, Did you have uh, friends? Was that your role in the school that you were like this weird grown up that was also there? Like, were you able to also um, do double dutch or play Foursquare, Or were you just walking around every once in a while showing up in a three piece suit and going, hey, uh, you're a kid. So are you. Uh, sure. This is George. He's a dollar fifty. Uh, you know, I'd walk around with my trench coat. and <laughs> Well, the guy in the trench coat is doing what we're talking about. The New York cliche of, hey, buddy, do you want to buy a watch? Canal Street is what we're talking about. I know it's a Rolex, but it looks like a Rolex, and I'll give you $15. And you wanted 20 That's like everybody's experience. That's the American bizarre experience. So you yeah. made one with a ballpoint pen or something, and then what? That was it. I, I mean, I just made a hundred more, you know, I, I wouldn't say that that was a commercial success. Um, <laughs> I blame uh, my last name. It was the branding. They knew, they knew Spanish slang and they didn't want it. My first, my first major success was duct tape wallets. Um, I made about $600 selling those to people at school. Uh, I think this was in fifth grade. And basically, so this was, I went to a, the the public school hated that I sold things. Um, And in fourth grade, you know, I went on to private school and I'd hated school throughout. And I was like, I want to leave. I want to leave. And my parents were like, no, you got to go. This is what people do. (laughs) And (laughs) I just can't believe you knew you wanted to leave school. Everybody else was just going, it's fish sticks today. There's fish sticks yeah. in the cafeteria. And you're like, who wants to buy a wallet? I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and, you're, and you're negotiating with your parents and, and that you've pushed them so far that they have to go, it's what people do. That's you've, you've gotten them down to the essence of their argument. It's just what people do. Please, Ari, please. It's just what people do. <laughs> yeah. So eventually they would kind of – be like you know like he's got to get out of here let's let's take him out but we're not there quite yet so this is i'm in fifth grade now and this is um at a private school and basically it was like public school i think was having a drug problem and or something and just the public school around here i don't know it's a good public school it's just apparently god, one. god help us if you've gotten into drugs. I mean, selling drugs, like fucking, exactly. they were, they were afraid of something fucking forget it. I'd be, you'd have gold teeth right now. Your face would be blurred somehow. Your voice would be distorted and you would be on a private Island uh, where they're going to have fire fest in 20 years. Uh, I, I rue the day that you, like, I'm so glad you didn't. <laughs> so they, so, yeah, keep us, please. Yeah. I was, it was in fifth grade and I like, I had duct tape and I'd always made cardboard duct tape things. And I was like, I'm going to learn how to make duct tape wallets. And I just like made a few and I I got really good at cutting out like specific designs and like having 
very intricate things on the face of the wallet. So it was like a blue wallet, but instead of like having uh, like a mustache or like a top hat in the duct tape print, like from, from duct tape, the company, I would like get white duct tape and make the wallet. And then I'd get black duct tape and make like the top hat. And I'd put that on the wallet. And it was just like a lot better than my competition. So (laughs) So you made a better mousetrap. You were like, I see the trend duct tape wallets. I'm going to make a better duct tape wallet. Yeah. Well, I think like some, one of like the really crafty kids there was, was making duct tape wallets uh, or like just made one for themselves. And I was like, I could do that. And then like people wanted it. And like, then I would just sell them. I sold them for 10 bucks a piece. I remember this one kid paid me 20 bucks and I was like, this is the greatest day ever. <laughs> then he had nothing to put in his wallet. Exactly. <laughs> but, he had, but you'll have a wallet. <laughs> yeah, so the, you know, the whole school ended up starving to death because everyone was spending their lunch money on duct tape wallets, <laughs> but otherwise it worked out. So you may, you ended up selling, you're selling them for 10. So you sold 60 of them or I'm sorry, you sold, yeah, 60. I sold 50 or 60 of them, yeah. And you know what's funny? At the end of it, like, I started getting some competition. Like, there was this other kid who ended up becoming an aerospace engineer. <laughs> he made a wallet that had, like, an ID sleeve and, like, a zipper and, like, all this crazy stuff. And he was selling for five bucks. And I was like, it's not worth your time to make something like this, Ari. So I Oh, my God. I, I just I just upped my, my production, like, quality mine were just the highest quality and that was what sold them and also what what fifth grader has an id <laughs> hilarious it's like uh seinfeld's bit about pajamas with pockets like what am i yeah, doing exactly. i don't need pockets i'm going to bed yeah. Yeah. that is brilliant and uh, you were first to market you you got there first so you got everybody already had a duct tape wallet so here comes a guy with a better arguably kind of or a novel wallet but it was kind of too late you had sold out the school yeah and it had like a it had a great like plastic bag uh, repurposed window for the ID. But again, it's like no one has an ID at that age. So <laughs> there's also this weird thing that happens when you're in sixth grade and fifth grade and, and, and elementary school where people kind of feel like, because for me now I just knock everyone off. I'm like, Oh, I really like the usual suspects. So let me just make an entire episode. That's just like the usual suspects. <laughs> and it's kind of like, it's like, it's not – I've been doing it long enough that it's just my spin on it, but it's it's very obviously like a ripoff. Mm. And I think that that's how you get a lot of – that's how you develop your own style is you, you just knock people off that you like until you become yourself. Because if you're just kind of poking around in the dark, you're, you, you don't really get anywhere. You kind of just try 100 different hats and none of them will really fit. And if you just, if you just steal from what you like in like – if you just do it every day in a year, you'll be something totally unique. That is like nothing else that you've ever seen. I think that's very well put there. There's sort of like a, almost like a polity issue. People don't want to be seen mimicking in my case, Brian Regan, the comedian and, and then Dane cook sort of got mixed in there. And then uh, Seinfeld, obviously. And if you watch the early tapes of any standup and I'm including everybody in this, uh, meaning Mulaney, even, um, I was just thinking about how Chappelle loved Tony Woods and Tony Woods is another comedian who I think inspired Chappelle and helped him find his voice. You try these things on and before you know it, they're not there anymore. Like you're just not, exactly. you're not, yeah. you're not over the line. So you, you were doing that with the wallets 
and did you have bigger mentors? Did you, did you have like older people that you were like, look at how they navigated the world that was inspiring to you? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, I I don't think that there's just one person that was like the person like it, like lately after listening to your show, I noticed that you talk about Mulaney on like every single episode. So I was like, (laughs) let me, let me watch the Mulaney episode. And or listen to it. I always say watch. Yeah, uh, sure. But, but I love the Mulaney episode, and now I've watched the Mulaney stand-up specials, like all of them, in the last three days. Oh wow! So um, now it just kind of varies. It's like I remember before I had the show or this podcast, I always called a show and feel weird about calling it a show because sometimes people are like, "Well, it's not on TV," and I'm like. It is a show, though. Yeah, it's it's a podcast show. We're showing words. <laughs> I said, oh, remember at the beginning, I said, oh, you listen to the show. Yeah. I suppose yeah. you could have issue with that, but I'll, I'll do you one worse. I always say up. If I'm in Boston, I'm going up to New York. If I'm in New York, mm-hmm. I'm going up to Boston. I, I it's, it's like cops. Where If I arrest you on 76th Street and the precinct is on 77th, I'm still going to say I'm taking you downtown. <laughs> No cop wants to say, come on, buddy, you're going uptown. You just say downtown. Yeah. Okay, you yeah. get it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you, what was your point? You listened to Mulaney, then you watched all his specials. Uh, I think my point was going to be that I just try to take inspiration from a lot of different people. Well, whatever I find funny or, or entertaining or, or really useful – if I were to say like really big inspirations have been an inspiration for a long time would definitely be uh, Lionel Messi, the soccer player. I don't know anything about him. Uh, he's just really good. At soccer? Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. He's just a fantastic soccer player? He's a fantastic player. And I played for a long time. So he was just like a really big inspiration to me. Uh, but when it comes to like- this sort of like outlier fuck mm-hmm. school, I'm going to sell wallets, you you – you came up with that idea organically or was there something that told you there was another way to go? No, I, I think I just kind of came up with it myself. I think I was just like, I don't like this. Like what else am I going to do? And you can also look up on the internet, which has been a thing my whole life, which I, it hasn't for you, which is unbelievable to me. Yeah. But um, if you, you think that look up, Aaron Sorkin wrote the West wing before the internet. You're like the amount of research they had to do just flip. Now when I'm writing a script and if it's about uh, the Bible and I want to prove, I want somebody to say something absurd about the old Testament, just Google worst things in the old Testament and a billion things will come up. Somebody already did the work for you. And then you can go, Oh, I'll appear smart. But Aaron Sorkin actually had to like, and his team had to like do that. That blows my mind. I wasn't doing anything in the nineties that required the internet, <laughs> but, yeah, you, I, but you were, <laughs> but I, well, I mean, what I was getting at is like, you can look up like things to do to make money for when you're like six or something. Yeah. And uh, they're all kind of like, super vague like oh make duct tape wallets i didn't actually get it from one of those lists i think i just started doing it but i would look i looked it up later on probably when i was like 14 and and was going through my midlife crisis uh but you know just 
I don't know. I think I just was exposed to a lot of different things and I was always curious about stuff and, and trying to find new interesting things and things that I was entertained by. And I'd, I'd kind of go from there. But you were showing promise. This is helpful to your, I want to leave school thing, right? I mean, like you're being a productive, especially in the West, if you're making money, no one can argue with you. So is, was that one of your, your bargaining chips uh, with your parents? Uh, no, no, actually. I didn't go that route um, because like at the end of the day, well, my this is kind of an off-topic story, but I have an uncle who is a venture capitalist. So I guess that was kind of like one of my inspirations where it's like, well, he builds companies. Like I could do that. Mm-hmm. And – a couple of years ago, I started a, a school store with my sister. My sister had an idea to start a school store. She's going to sell like snacks and erasers and not erasers with faces on them. <laughs> but that was, uh, I wouldn't give her that license. <laughs> but just like all, all sorts of things. And I gave her like a hundred bucks to start it. And, and I was like, just make sure, just pay me back. But all the money that you profit off of, I'll only give this to you if you put it back into the business. So she did that. And I went out and I visited him a couple months later and he was like, uh, you know, well, what have you been working on? I was like, well, I started a school store with my sister. It makes about, you know, $40 a week. She makes that. And he's like, well, you're not going to live off that. And she was like 13 at the time. <laughs> I was like, okay, like, thanks. But that was also like. You can live on $0 a week when you're 13. You're completely codependent to your parents. Yeah, well, I think. I don't know. I feel like this whole thing has been taken up with business stuff and I, I don't know how interesting that is to anyone, but the, the side of it was if you, if you're in Silicon Valley, everything is huge, right? Like, so everyone wants to be like the next unicorn company, which is like a billion dollar startup. And everyone wants to like have millions of users and no profit. And <laughs> it's like a very strange world. And it's almost like if you're not making hundreds of millions of dollars, you may as well just, be homeless. Right. So that's, it's such a weird attitude to have, but I think it's the attitude that like has happened in America a lot nowadays where it's like, well, we want to make a billion dollars or we want to make nothing at all. Like, but I, the only I, thing. I see that in the cultural mythology. There's people in my extended family that you want to be like, go. And it, it doesn't help that I'm a comedian, right? This mm-hmm. like anomaly. Like I, I'm one of the rare people that gets to do what I love and, and be rewarded for it. And then like, if you tell somebody, especially if they know me, go work at Starbucks, a lot of people are just like, fuck that shit because they want to be the unicorn company. It's like, it's like an overarching mentality that people are like, I'll either make a hundred billion dollars and be famous or I'll do absolutely nothing. But are, are you saying that the story with your sister is, is a move against that mentality? Um, yeah. So I've always felt that like, if you're going to start a company, don't start a company. That's like, don't try to be Apple or something. Just like start small. Like Apple didn't start wanting to be the biggest developer of computers. They started wanting to make a computer that was for homes and was really good. And I right. think that if you try to make a really good product, you're always going to have more success than just wanting to be really successful. Unless you do YouTube, in which case it's totally backwards and you can just make some stupid thing and everyone yeah. will watch it and you know exactly what they want to watch. Yeah. And it, um, as long as the thumbnail is you pointing at the screen going, <gasps> like, exactly. yeah. I mean, like, dude, you, you just helped me understand exactly what turns my stomach 
uh, about YouTube. And I, and I, there's a lot of YouTubers that I really love, but a lot of them even make videos about how they're not the biggest because they refuse to make shit. Um, mm. I don't, video game donkey. I don't know if you know him. He's really good, but he makes these really thoughtful and well-made video game review videos that are really funny. Mm. And then he's like, he shows his competitors and they, they're like 10 times what he gets. And then their videos are just like, Terrible. Bullshit. They're oh, absolute yeah. bullshit. And he's out there just going and – I, and I relate. I understand because he's almost trying to have a real-world mentality, the Apple mentality. Let's just make something good and that will work. But YouTube does have like a Wild West like, yeah, I know you're painting this this beautiful painting, but that guy over there will show you his butthole for 50 cents. Like like the line for the butthole is so long and nobody nobody has the palette for the for the painting anymore. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. And that's it's so frustrating for me because I'm like I would say that I make things that don't real I don't want to say this, but I don't make things that it really exist anywhere else on YouTube. I'm sure there's someone that does and that does them better than me. But as far as I know, mine are very unique. And there's no way to promote that. There's no way to, to get people to watch that because it's so different than everything else that there's nothing for nothing to suggest it. No one's searching for it. Right. So it's just like it's impossible to get anyone to see it, but I'm okay with that because I get paid to make a podcast. So yeah, it's all fun. that's right. Dude, you're, you, my show, for example, is listed as a comedy, but like, I don't know if you listen to any of the like more far out philosophical episodes. It's also a self-help podcast. It's also a spirituality podcast. And like, I, I don't struggle with it because I don't think about it that much, but I'm like, because I had it was a comedy podcast that became a self-help podcast. The fans sort of carried over, but I I'm with you. I'm like, I don't really know how to sell except to the people who already listen. I don't know how to be like, Hey, do you want to talk about, you know, Eckhart Tolle and also talk about butthole jokes? Like, it's a very interesting, where's the guy pointing at the YouTube screen and saying like six insane reactions. And, and and it never even is. It never, it doesn't even deliver. It never is. is. It That's doesn't even deliver. It's what? That's why I started. I started doing YouTube because I was like, this is terrible. Like, yeah. I could do this. I always thought that YouTube was like a professional's game. Like, you got to be really good. And then I remember I watched some video that was just like horrible. Like, so unbelievably bad. And I was like, I can do this. And I like, started my YouTube channel. The next like, day. Disney Channel bad. But you know, okay. So much I, worse. I, I want to address what you're saying. One of the key shifts in my life is something that you seem to have figured out, which is that knowledge or information, we can even make it less sexy than knowledge and just say information is there for you to steal. It's a heist. Meaning you can't steal people's specific intellectual material or anything. We, We have those boundaries, but you can watch a YouTube video, realize it stinks and then be like, but this kind of gives me an idea that I could do something like this. And if somebody had just explained to me like school or information or reading is to like get those, you read a book, you read something interesting. Now you have something interesting in your head. Not only do you have that, but it makes you think other interesting thoughts. It kind of teaches you how to think interesting. And now Mm -hmm. you're talking to people at a party and you're interesting. And that could lead in a friend that could lead in a partner that could lead to a job. But nobody, everybody was just like, I know your parents didn't really say that school was just like, do it because it's what you do. But if somebody had like whispered to me, like 
No, like shoplift, steal. It's a heist. It's Ocean's Eleven. Break into the vault and take the best stuff from Kurt Vonnegut. Take the best stuff from Kant and and absorb it and become invincible. That would have made learning, not just school, but just learning more interesting. So I'm seeing that happening over and over. You're watching YouTube and it sucks. When did you start doing your first YouTube video and what was it? Uh, I don't even know. We used to make James Bond knockoffs. So cool. like, <laughs> I, I there's this one great scene where like my friend Max, who's in a lot of my podcast episodes, is he does like a James Bond accent, like this terrible English accent. But at the time we're like, Max, don't do it. It sucks. And he's like, no, no, no. Trust me. It's really good. It's, <laughs> it's so horrible. And at, at one point he's like, he's saying a line and he just switches to like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's like, you know, and I don't even remember the line or or no, he's, someone's like, where, where are they going? And he's like, somewhere they are not. It's not James Bond. (laughs) So these are sketches. They're not sketches. They're serious films. I don't know if you know this. I made. I have two James Bond parodies that I made on. My, I saw them. I oh, saw you did you? Well, I saw one of them at least. I, I might have seen two, but that was. I really liked the drunk one. Yeah, lightweight James Bond. That that was really that was really good. fun. Uh, it has a lot to do with the editing. Obviously, that was Oren Brimmer who edited that and really made it fun, as funny as it is. But um, okay. And then, but you're not making money uh, from YouTube. We can't say, let's, let's stay off business. Let, when did you go, I'm out of here? And how did you convince your parents to let you uh, leave school in eighth grade? Well, I basically got kicked out. Uh, <laughs> the- Are you aware that that's like good for your mystique? Do you ever think about your career abstractly and be like, no, this is a good origin story. I was kicked out of school in eighth grade. And like, oh, of course I wasn't really kicked out, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> and you suddenly you have a Valone jacket on. <laughs> Wait, everything was bullshit. <laughs> uh, well, we both agreed that I should leave the school basically because I was like teaching the class. Uh, Which you know, class? <laughs> math class. Yeah. So you were uh, better than the teacher and you would explain. Well, I thought I was. <laughs> What does that look like? You'd raise your hand and then you just wouldn't stop talking? Well, we had a math teacher who was really good. His name was Peter. He was he was excellent. And we also had a math teacher who was a art teacher before that. And unfortunately, she couldn't really do math. So I don't know why that was like a like th- another thing about this school. We had a groundskeeper, one of our teachers who had been there for years. Uh, who, who she was incredible, like like been a teacher at the school for twenty years. Over the the Thanksgiving break, it was found out that she didn't have a teaching degree. Oh my god! <laughs> never had one the whole time. Oh my god! So she was replaced by the groundskeeper, and we were taught <laughs> by a groundskeeper through fifth and sixth grade. And there's this one story that I don't want to give away too much, but there's an episode of my podcast where my friend tells a story about something that I said to the groundskeeper. Oh, you got to say it. Uh, I'll get there. I'll get there. So he says, so we all get together and we're like, well, does anyone have any problems with the class? Like, does anyone, is anyone having any difficulties? And I raised my hand and he calls on me and every, no one else raised their hand. Like they thought that I was going to say something like really profound. And I was like, 
The problem, Patrick, is you. <laughs> oh my god, no! Why do I think he's holding a rake? Why are you doing this to Patrick? I got sent into the hole and I got forgotten about for four hours. It was the best day ever. I didn't have to do anything. Oh my god, he sent you out. He sent, I got sent out, yeah. But you, and it was a legitimate thing. I didn't say it as a joke, but I said a lot of things as jokes. But this was not. This was a very serious. Like, no, I genuinely have a problem with how you're teaching the class, and I think that I, I don't like it. Did and you elaborate? I was sent out before I could say anything else. Wow, of course, because you're a kid. Yeah. Um, whoa. <laughs> and then we're leading up to the meeting where they're like, "Look, Patrick and I have spoken." Uh, it might be best if you leave. They're just sending you into the wild to be so, raised by wolves and the internet. I, w- I would have gone back to public school. Well, I did. I did go back to public school, and you know, it was it was because I would try to teach the class. It was because I'd just leave class and go play soccer with the second graders on the playground because they had <laughs> recess at a different time, or like I ended up teaching a I ended up coaching a soccer camp with a lot of those kids so everything happens for a reason <laughs> perhaps uh, so um, you know we both agreed that I, that we go our separate ways and I ended up in public school and on the first day of eighth grade I was like I don't want to go here and my parents were like well why don't you go another day and we'll see what happens so I was like yeah fine. So I went another day and I was like, this sucks. And we finally agreed that I would leave after the soccer season ended, which was two months into the thing. So we could prepare my homeschooling and, you know, so I was homeschooled, uh, but I was not, I didn't do anything. You know, I didn't, I didn't do any like the traditional schoolwork. I just did like whatever businesses, or I ran a soccer camp, or I, you know, I just did whatever I thought was interesting. Like I drew cars at one point. Cause I was like, I could do car design. Like, this is fun. Yeah. And, um, what was your parents' attitude at that point? Like they, they see, it sounds like they were giving you a pretty long leash, right? I mean, they're saying clearly our, our kid is smart. He doesn't like school. We're not even going to do the boring homeschool thing where we have like a fake archeological dig with toy rocks. We're going to let him into the wild of limitless information of the internet and and supervise as he makes businesses. Yeah, I I mean I don't know I don't know how much my it could have been a total failure. Like a lot of people were like, "This is a terrible idea." Like, how can you let your son do this? And for us, it was well for them. They were just they were cool enough to let me to let me do whatever. And I also think that they were going through a divorce at the time. So to deal with everything, I think would have been very tough. I don't know. Is, is that the case? Yeah. He's nodding his head to, to put up with me complaining about school every day would have just been a nightmare on top of everything else. Isn't so that interesting? It was the right place at the right time. You got a smoke screen. Out. Yeah, yeah. There was a smoke screen cover. There was a bigger fish to fry and you were like, I think this is my moment. And yeah. then, and then you haven't looked back. When did you, then you start doing the podcast when? Well, this brings us back to the pathological liar. <laughs> what fun. So I've been making YouTube videos. And as I said before, he was really good at meeting people. So good at meeting people that he met the, he met someone, he met Leo, who's, who's John C. Riley's son. Uh, he's actually a very popular and great 
recording artist or singer or musician. I don't, I, I know what he does. He makes songs. I just don't know the word for that. At the yeah. Song, songwriter. songwriter. Singer, yeah. singer, songwriter. Yeah. So, um, we, I, I met him and this was like before all the, he, he became really famous and, uh, or, you know, really famous is always such a funny thing. Cause like he's far more famous than me, but he's not like as famous as his dad or, Right. Or you or something. So it's like, right. you know, within reason, within internet. Sure. Internet. So I met him and he was the guy that we talked about earlier, like busted the whole myth of this kid being doing all these things. Right. And I, I, I would fly out to see them cause they lived in California and I would, I would go out every few months whenever I could afford to go. Um, so, you know, I would see him a few times. And one time I went out and I just happened like I basically my thing is it's really easy to travel and it's really cheap if you just crash on people's couches. So I would just sleep on his couch for a week and I'd get to be in LA for a week. And one of the times uh, we, they were filming a pilot for um, an HBO show and I went to the set and they'd all seen my videos. Cause you know, they were like, you know, I was uh, just a, another person in their lives at that time. So they're like, why don't we go down to the movie set and check it out? And I'm like, cool. I, I get to go to a movie set. So I, I get there and we, we do everything. And they're like, well, the, why don't you, uh, you want to meet the director? So I, I shake Adam's hand at the time. I'm like, like, nice to meet you. And he's like, Hey, how are you? And you know, in his joy- joyful way. Is Adam McKay? Yeah. And he's, I, I didn't know who he was at the time. So I just, it was a completely dark room. He's kind of like in his director's chair in the shadows. There's like maybe 10 or 20 producers behind. And I shake his hand and I kind of just sit, stand there for a second. I'm like, oh, this is kind of an awkward situation. Does anyone else want to shake my hand? And thankfully everyone laughed. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's so good. I, shook, I shook all the producers' hands. And like, like uh, two hours later, I'm like, who is the director that I met? And Leo was like, oh, that's Adam McKay. And I was like, ah, one of my favorite directors. Great. I had no <laughs> idea it was him. What was the pilot? Uh, it was for a show about the NBA. I think it's actually coming out soon. Okay, it's cool. Showtime or it was at the time. I don't know. Maybe I'm not allowed to say that, but who knows? I think uh, rumor is fine. Um, okay. And then – where do we so, go from here? Yeah. So he ended up seeing some of my videos and was like, he should do a podcast. Like I have, I'm starting a podcast company. See if he wants to do it. So I went out again about two months later and met him and um, then ended up getting the show of, at, at, through a series of pilots and everything. And the, the thing is, in this whole story and the, where we kind of began was the perhaps thing where it's like, you know, I meet this guy at sneaker con, like, Oh, that's great. You met someone new perhaps. And then I, turns out he's a pathological liar. And my friend Zach is telling me, Oh, you never should have met him. Like, this is terrible. This is the worst thing that ever happened to you. And it's like, perhaps. And through him, I meet Leo and through Leo, I get the show and, and now we're here. So it's like, None of that would have happened if I hadn't made a stupid joke about someone having a rapist's hoodie. <laughs> I love that. And that's so perfectly put. I think that's so perfectly put. Well, let's talk 
can you give me like a little snippet on what you talked about when you were like, how do you sell your soul? That's very interesting to me. We talk about what, how that is so true metaphorically that like so many people that I've run into, not close friends of mine that like are on the top of the world, just have that vacancy in their eyes and they're dead. And it's all about the next hit of relevance, even though they might be the biggest in the world. um, They need that next hit because they're starting to vanish and they're just, they might be worth a billion dollars and they might be the most famous person in the world. This, by the way, I'm not mentioning anybody I know personally, but they just seem like dead people. And you go, Oh, that's where you get the, like the devil will teach you how to play the fiddle, but you're not going to be close with your parents anymore. Sort of idea. So how did you explore it? Um, well, metaphorically selling your soul is incredibly easy, but literally doing it physically doing it is almost impossible. So we talked to a Satanist and they were like, Oh, you know, like people ask us that all the time. We don't do that. There's no profit in buying souls. Like it's just a thing that exists. What are we going to do? Sell it to someone else? (laughs) You're like, yes, for a markup. That's what you do. Haven't you ever heard of uh, duct tape wallets? (laughs) Because you can't commoditize it. Like, what do we do? We can't extract it from you and put it in a jar. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of goes through the process of, well, how do we sell it physically? How do we sell it metaphorically? How do we, you know, maybe can we resell it? Is there anyone that has sold their soul? And um, it's it's a journey. I, I... Every time I record one of these podcasts, I think of it almost as like a song where it's like with the music and everything because it's heavily edited. It has like three or four interviews in each episode and and there's, you know, little bits that I do and there's and there's music that plays throughout and sound effects. It's it's very uh, produced, I guess it's produced. Yeah. Uh, compared to at least just like a talking podcast, which I wish that I had done. But I know. I, I remember when Dana Gould was starting his podcast, he was like, the whole idea is we're going to take a month to edit it. And I was like, I mean, okay. Or, or, or we could learn to play the mandolin. I mean, like that sounds about as difficult as that. Um, but yes, uh, but I, I really like podcasts that have high production value, even though I do one with very low production value. But so – I'm interested well, you know, in your there's, show. There's two sides to it. I love listening to just talking podcasts, but at the same time, I love listening to something that's like a story. Yeah, me too. Well, so, This American Life is, I think, sort of inarguably one of the biggest podcasts in the world. And that is the standard for like, let's really, we'll yeah. do three acts. We'll have three topics. We'll have people in the field. We'll have editors. We'll have music. We'll have credits. And it's one of my favorite shows of all time. So I think you're in good company. Thank you. Well, I mean, it's it's like that, but it's also like a total joke too. Like it's not <laughs> it's not a serious show. Uh, people like to talk about like people at the, uh, you know, our producers and everyone's like, well, it's about it's about learning things, and I'm like, it's not though. It's like it's not about learning anything. It's about learning things, but it's not really about learning the thing that you think you're going to learn about. Right. Right. So. You know, it's 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 in it's in a roundabout way. Uh, let me put it this way: when when I came in to do my pilot, I this was like right before the pandemic started. I traveled down to Brooklyn and I I went to their offices and I met with uh, Laura Mayer and Harry Nelson, who are our pr- producers and and uh, owner of the of Three Uncanny Four. And 
uh, they're like, we want you to reinvent the podcast. Cause I go in and I'm like, there's two different kinds of podcasts. There's the one that's like the story time, like truth thing. And then there's like the sit down and talk thing. And there's like, they blend a little, but there's nothing that's really just like, um, there's really only two types of podcasts. And they're like, we completely agree. We want something new. And I'm like, they're like, reinvent the podcast. And I'm like, great. (laughs) It's like when someone says make a viral video, which I've been told many times. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's your life. (laughs) So I, I go back and I kind of just like, I listened to a few podcasts. I listened to like S town. I don't know if you've heard that. Yeah. I loved S town. I listened to like a ton of different things and I'd never listened to podcasts before that. You know, I'd heard like Rogan a few times and I'd heard like some YouTubers podcasts and they're just talking and I'd I'd heard like NPR, but I'd never heard like anyone making a real story. So that was interesting. And I came back with like this weird mix of like, I would say it's kind of like stand up comedy and a story and an interview all in one. Mm. Um, and it's it it I've been told that it feels like not necessarily just the audio. Um so it's I, I I hate to say that it's entirely unique, but it is, as far as I know, entirely unique. That's great. Let me ask you this. If a Satanist had said, I will give you five hundred dollars to do a ceremony, it's exactly what you're picturing. You're going to lay on some unholy altar with candles and men with black robes, men and women will come in and hover their hands over you and chant something in a forgotten language and we will own your soul. Um, would you have done that? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I think, yeah, I, I definitely would have just for the show. But <laughs> You would have done it! For the show, I would have had to, you know. <laughs> oh, did you see the movie Cold Souls? They did a movie about selling your soul. No, called, I, didn't, I didn't. Paul Giamatti has his soul sold or, or frozen, so he could like get it later. I don't, I don't remember. It wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, but I remember being like, even if it was just sounds from mammals in a room. I I wouldn't do it. I I always wanted to see if you could get like the biggest skeptic in the world to spend the night in the most haunted prison in the world or whatever. I thought that would be very interesting. And you're saying you would do that, which is a great podcast host. You're somebody that's like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Well, I I think like to, I don't know. That's what's unique about the show is like, well, I say that yet most of our episodes is just like, we need someone to talk about this. And I'm just like, let's just get someone to say it. And then it becomes a thing. <laughs> or I like think, we'll have like I'll like I gotta go outside. Uh, it's freezing cold out. Let me just put some sound effects in and we'll get them outside. <laughs> so, and you're moving the mic around so it sounds like you're yeah, walking. It's it's very much just like we have a whole episode where I trick my friend into believing that Bigfoot's real, but like it's just a cover to trick him that the FBI are investigating him. <laughs> so <laughs> It sounds really fun. I think it sounds playing really around, cool. Playing around with sound has been awesome because it's like you can do anything and, and no one will really know. With video, you got to – with video and movies, you can fake things and you can make things like seem to be one way when really they're another way just by turning the camera slightly. 
But with audio, you have limitless possibilities. Yeah. And that's been a lot of fun to to play around with. That's really cool. And we're back at that idea that like stealing the components of the different shows that you like and putting them into one. Like when you look at it like that, you're like, that's not a new idea, but that is what a new idea is. It's just incorporating what came before it. What did you, are you learning? Did you get a good get rich quick scheme or, or how to pick people up? You had a pickup artist on, is there anything that sticks out? The I can go on forever about about the pickup artist one in particular. That for the for the get rich quick scheme, it's kind of like a series. So it's going to be like this episode is all about um, multi level marketing, uh, essentially a pyramid scheme. Yeah, and I think the tagline for the show is uh, everything you need to know about or like legally. I think the tagline for the show is the first episode. It says uh, like. How to Get Rich Quick Part One, and then below it, it's uh, legally it's multi-level marketing. <laughs> like and, because aren't there, there are laws against pyramid schemes, right? Well, I mean, pyramid schemes are illegal. Multi-level marketing schemes would never be a pyramid scheme. A multi-level a multi-level marketing scheme isn't a pyramid scheme. It is. It just <laughs> you know. You're like a lawyer. No, it's a multi-level marketing scheme. It's still yeah. a scheme. <laughs> Um, it's a multi-level marketing business. It's okay, a, thank it's you. <laughs> opportunity uh, for you to make a little money on the side, but potentially a lot of money on the side. Definitely a lot of money on the side. It's just a question of how hard you work. Right. It's well, you empower your sales force, don't you? And it's and really how much uh, space do you have for energy drinks. <laughs> and yes, oh boy, that is frightening stuff. What did you learn from the pickup artist? Whew, the pickup artist one. So I recorded the pickup artist interview uh, about a month before I sat down to edit it. And I was just terrified of editing it. Cause it's like, you talk to this guy and you're just like, mm. yeah. Skeezy. Uh, you can't see my reaction, but I'm yeah. You made yeah. the, the internationally recognized face for skeezy. Well, it's, it's a slimy. I remember watching something on MTV when I was like 13 and it was just following these two guys that were like, we've had sex with thousands of women. And the part that stood out to me, he looked like Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. And he was putting on tanning cream in the oh. mirror. And he goes, you know, it's a great conversation starter. Hey, where, where were you? Oh, I just got back from Cancun. Now they think I have money. And now we're going back to my place. And I was like, this is horrible this is it's sort of like we're saying it's like the five cent thing being sold for fifty dollars but your commodity is human beings and their bodies so you start feeling really shitty about everything that's happening so i understand why you would be skeezed yeah and and like that was the whole that was the whole episode and it goes the episode kind of starts out like all my other episodes and then it kind of goes down a weird path where we talk about the history of it and the, the different shows and the kind of fringe players who are maybe selling books that are full of nothing. Sure. Uh, like there's this one guy, uh, I believe his name is Roosh V, who wrote a book called Bang Ukraine, which is about how to have oh. sex with Ukrainian women. And there's this one... This one, this one paragraph. But the base, the funny thing is, though, the whole book, he just hates on Ukraine the entire time, and it's like it's, it's all about how terrible a country it is and how 
like the women cover themselves up with makeup and they, Oh, he calls it paint over culture. So he's like the women paint over themselves with makeup and the men paint over themselves. Oh, this is the exact line. And a fat Ukrainian man who looks like Jabba the Hutt will paint over himself with a new Mercedes. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's taking down the whole system. (laughs) He hates Ukraine apparently. So like, I'm like, why is this? Like, this doesn't make any sense. So I go through like pages of his YouTube videos to one where I find where he's like, oh uh, yeah, in my in my ninety days in Ukraine, I didn't have one one night stand, and I'm like, oh, that explains it. That's why he hates Ukraine because yeah. because it didn't work for him. So then he, a guy who didn't have any casual encounters in Ukraine, writes a book about how to have a casual encounter in Ukraine. I don't know. Like we're that's bad, what we're, I'm talking about. It's that. It's that. Type of like, can we write a book and can we sell it to people? Can we sell? How many suckers can we sell this to? Ugh, no shortage. That is insane. Truly um, insane. But my favorite part about the pickup artist episode is when you're, you know, when you're my age, when you're in high school and, and a, little, <clears throat> a little younger, everyone's like, "Well, this is what you got to do to get a date." And and my whole life, I'm like where do these people come up with this stuff? And through making this episode, I learned that most of the advice I'd been given was from like VH1. <laughs> Specifically the dating shows or what? Typically mystery. Um, I don't know. I think it's called the pickup artist. It's just a show. And it's wow. like a guy who looks like he's got like snow goggles. Yeah. Pe- peacocking. Yes. You got yes. a peacock. You got to be neg. You got to say something negative about them. Horrible. He's got a he's got goggle, like uh, fighter pilot goggles and like a cape. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And that's what's being regurgitated to you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so where did this all lead? You're a guy now who has a, a podcast. He has a YouTube channel. What are you doing and what do you want to do? You seem like a really interesting guy. You are a really interesting guy. I think where what is your you also seem like a guy who probably has a pretty good 10-year plan. Whether or not you think about it in those terms, and I know we've sort of poo-pooed unicorn companies, but I've never talked to somebody where I'm like, this is probably gonna be some guy in who maybe it'll be a year or five or ten, who knows, where I'm like, I can't believe I had him on the podcast before he what what is the plan? Uh, well, that's very nice of you to say, but I don't really have a plan. I kind of just like perhaps my way through things. <laughs> and why do I feel like this interview will be transcribed and in some book with your face on the cover called Perhaps? But what's great is it's not written by you because that means other people are writing biographies about you because you'll be like. <laughs> You're going to be the guy that figures out how to sell Velcro while it's on the moon. However that, whatever that means. It's uh, it's one of my favorite words, perhaps. I, I just like the sound of it. It's a great but, sound. Moving past that, uh, what do I want to do? I didn't want to do podcasts, you know, like I, I people ask me all the time and like, we're, we're right in like the marketing phase of it and I'm doing all the marketing and I'm making like TikTok ads and I'm thinking to myself, like, who's going to watch this? Like who's who even cares? Who's gonna watch it? How many people are gonna watch? And the answer is zero because it's a podcast and you can't watch it. <laughs> There's your TikTok ad. That was under a minute. That was pretty good. <laughs> like, uh, I, 
I've, I, I didn't want to do a podcast just cause I, I just love video and I love the, the movies and I love stand up comedy and I, I love all this stuff. And I think like, I'd like to do it all eventually. It's just a question of like, well, what am I going to do next? And I think for yeah. the last few weeks I've been thinking about like, well, you know, if the show is not a success and I don't get another season, what do I do then? And it's like, uh, you know, I could do YouTube, I could do other businesses, but I really like to try to do things that I really want to do. Yeah. So for me, that's, I, I eventually want to do movies. Like I eventually want to do actual movies, real movies, full length movies. Yeah. Uh, not sketches. No. Uh, but I also love doing sketches. So it's like, what, I don't know. I think I'll just, I'll, I'll kind of just see where things take me. And I'm very open to, to trying whatever. I think with moving to New York, a big thing that I want to do is I want to try stand-up comedy. Yeah. Uh, I, I've always liked being in front of a, a crowd and um, just not even telling jokes, just, just saying something and, and making people laugh and, and kind of bringing out some type of energy to, to the venue. That's interesting. I know, I know exactly what you mean when you say, I don't want to tell jokes, but I want to make people laugh. Some people listening might be like, that's absurd. But when in my first 10 years, I really couldn't yet identify where a setup or a punchline was in, mm-hmm. in my act. Mm-hmm. And that was actually really helpful. It's sort of your whole worldview is really nice. Meaning reality is a far greater force than you or I. And that's, what's so great about that perhaps story. And even the attitude applying it to stand-up being like, I'm going to share an energy that's funny and not reducing it to its most basic parts, setup and punchline, which is like reducing sex to like kiss, kiss, touch, kiss, kiss, touch, grab butt or whatever. Like nobody likes that. We like organic and natural. We like perhaps energy. So what I'm hearing is somebody that's like, look, I have a certain set of uh, skills and talents and intelligence and I can't control reality, but what I can do is surf on top of it. And, yeah, and, exactly. and that's what I see somebody doing. I think that's really powerful. I think that's very wise. Uh, I like to think that it's the right thing. I don't, I meet a lot of people who are like, I'm going to do this then I'm going to do that. And I'm like, that's kind of boring. Like <laughs> if you have everything set out, like where's the, where's the fun in that? Where's the story? I think right. one of the drawbacks of how I think about things is that, I'm always looking for a story. I'm always looking for how can I make this into something that I can tell. And um, I see there's like, I'm not a huge stand-up comedy buff, but I listen to some people who tell a story and I'm like, this is great because it doesn't even have to be funny. It's just an interesting story. And whenever there is a funny people will laugh and they'll be, they'll be carried along by the ride that even if they don't find the joke funny, they'll, they'll be be given something else. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you're going to have to maybe work around is when you start the spots are like three minutes, five minutes, four minutes. So I remember being your age and watching Eddie Izzard. And I was like, this guy's telling a 20 minute story and just exactly like what you're saying. It wasn't always hilarious. um, Meaning it would sometimes just be interesting or weird or tense and then it would be funny here, here, here enough to make it comedy. And then you're like, okay, now I go to a, a stand-up comedy club and do the open mic and you have five minutes. 
first of all, they don't like you enough to give you that level of attention. And then my interests go, oh, I'd, I'd rather be more like Mitch Hedberg because you can just tell a perfect one-liner joke and, and no matter what, you'll, you'll get some response. And if that doesn't work, you're onto the next premise. So you have all these fresh starts. When you tell a story, you're locked into it. So even if you go like, I'm going to tell a five-minute story, if at the beginning you just dock with the audience wrong – you're still telling that, that goddamn story. So I'm, I don't mean to give you advice. I'm just saying, even if that's what you want to do, know that you might have to play with other types of energy to get you to the place where you will be, will be afforded the length and have the gravitas to pull something like that off. So you might end up doing a couple jokes about how your last name means shit before you start telling the story about meeting the pathological liar at a shoe convention. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I. That's I think that's part of it, and I I I consistently will annoy my friends with like two line jokes, and I'll just kind of wait. I'll just like wait for the thing to come up, and then I'll say it, and then they'll be like, they'll laugh, and then they'll be like, "You asshole, you thought of that six weeks ago." Yeah, and I'll be like, "Ah, that's I remember that so vividly." Like you're in good company. You're doing it right. If it doesn't feel like a weird con and this weird sweaty secret that you have, that you have material and jokes and ideas. I would wait. I had all these jokes about Jeep Wranglers when I, my first year of comedy, I just thought they were the stupidest car. They look like model T's. The doors come off. Um, Mm -hmm. And we saw one on the road and I'm with my roommate in college and I just started kind of riffing off of it, but it was all this planned material and he laughed. And then I went too long and he was like, you wrote that, didn't you? And I, I was so embarrassed. He was like, I could tell you wrote it by the way you awkwardly sipped your soda when you were done. Because <laughs> I like stuck the landing and then I sipped my soda. Like that's where you should be applauding. So stand-up is so embarrassing. So applying good perhaps energy to it. And also what I like about this is like when people plan out their next 10 years, you're not even allowing – for developments, technologies, different types of entertainment that might be out there. Um, so for what it's worth, I think that's a great plan. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I, there are things that I know that I'm going to do this year or that I will try my best to do. Like, um, I just spoke to my friend today, right before this actually about making a short film. Cause like, this is. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on another tangent here. So sorry. I know you do three hour podcasts, so I've got a little bit of time. I used to go to. I was a PA once. I was a PA on a film set once. It was a movie called. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it's called, but that's probably good because I don't think it's out yet. This is like it's a long time ago. This was like 13 months ago. Okay. Or 14 months ago. This was in November 2019. So I'm on the set and I'm talking to the people and like you on a film set, it was like, it was a relatively small shoot, but it was still a Netflix production. So like there was enough people there that it was like things were happening and I'm talking to the different people and I'm like, well, who should I talk to first? This is my first time on a film set. I'm just going to talk to my fellow PAs. So I'm like, uh, you know, cold weather we're having. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah. And (laughs) you know, things happen. And eventually I'm like, so what do you, what do you get into it for? And he's like, well, I went to film school. You know, I, I, I think he was like 23 or 24. And I'm like, what do you eventually want to do? And he's like, well, I'd really love to direct. I'd really love to maybe produce. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, uh, do, have you directed anything? Like, I'd love to see some of your work. 
And he's like, no, no. And I'm like, what? How's, yeah. this pos- how's this possible? Yeah, yeah. And that just kept being the story over and over. And we sat down for dinner this one time, which was actually lunch. And it was served at 10 p.m. because that's how movie sets work. Yep. And this kid's like, oh, I, I just shot my first movie. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, this is, uh, you know, I should talk to him. He's definitely done something. So he's like, I made my first movie and it was, it was two hours and I cut it down to 20 minutes. And I'm like, how the fuck did you cut a feature length film to, to that little? Cause that was his slot. So we had to do it. So I run into him in the bathroom and I'm like, how did you do this? Like, that's incredible. And he's like, well, I'm like, what's it about? And he's like, well, it was a two hour interview that I, I edited down to 20 minutes and put footage over. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, like I'd just been caught. Like I, I didn't want to talk about anything that I was doing because I was just like the new person and I didn't want to bother anyone on my first day. And I had just finished making a 20 minute documentary about the upcoming election called who, who should I vote for or something. And it was, it had like 20 interviews with like, some of them were with state senators and just random people. And it was like, I want to say 50 hours of footage that I edited down to 20 minutes. And I, I, I thought like, I really got to brag more. Like, <laughs> now you're learning show business. I know exactly what you're talking about, man. That's a, a real showbiz phenomenon. You have to look out for the people, in my opinion, that are inheriting dreams, meaning they sort of envy the allure of being a Wes Anderson, right? <laughs> but they sort of forget that Wes and Steven Spielberg were also running and gunning, meaning their their passion was getting them out of bed and forcing them to do stuff. And the fact that every single person you're talking to, and I don't want to be too hard on the person that said they want to be a director, but they hadn't directed, but that is sort of like an epidemic. And that person has a camera on their phone that's better then the camera that shot Jaws, you know what I mean? Like is insane. And you could download an app that would edit the movie on your phone. Like forget even like the exclusivity of, of a, of a, of a desktop computer. There really is kind of like I had, and it never goes away by the way. I was talking to a friend of mine who is a director and nothing was coming in. The pandemic has been really hard for a lot of people and I, we just had this great conversation where we were like, what did we do when we were 20, 25? We got scrappy. We shot shit. And like it always just sort of – not always, but it often worked out. Would shoot the, – the story that I, I love to tell just because it's about this run and gun mentality is we shot – we entered that Doritos uh, competition where you try to shoot a Super Bowl ad. We shot it. The budget was literally $15. We had a uh, we had a funny idea. We should, what's that? It all went to a few bags of Doritos, pretty much, and a fake bag that we had to print. That was the biggest expense. Our friends at College Humor, Ricky Van Veen, let us use their thing, uh, their office, and then we had some cameras, and, and nobody else was paid. It was all pro bono, and then that won. So we got twenty thousand dollars. It didn't win the whole thing, but we made it to the finals, which was $20,000, which like your sister's store, we put back into the business. Now we're renting sound guys and cameras. And when we were at the – I know I'm smelling my own farts right now, but there's a point. 
when we were at the hotel, they flew us to Florida to go to the Super Bowl. It was part of the prize. We don't give a shit about the Super Bowl. And we're at this hotel. We wrote a series called Hotel. You can't say Super Bowl, but the big game is later today. Is it? It is. That's how little of a shit I give about the Super Bowl. Who's in it? Uh, ha, you don't give a shit either. Uh, I do know this. Uh, Tampa Bay and I think Oklahoma. I don't even – I don't know those. They had I teams. I like six. My <laughs> parents were like, you want to watch the Super Bowl? And I was like, sweet, bowling. <laughs> I did like it for the commercials. I did enjoy the commercials. I still do. Uh, not as much. But – we're at the hotel. We realized we had three nights in this hotel and we shot a ser- We shot 10 sketches. Just what are all the funny things you could do in a hotel? We basically have a free location, which is this hotel. We shot 10 sketches and then those sketches we sold to Comedy Central. The point, that's, that's perhaps energy, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, we get to go to see the game and we could just fart by the pool. But like what you're bumping up against is the thing to bump up against is like, don't forget you can just go fucking do this shit and never lose that. I'm not even talking to you right now. I'm just saying everybody needs to stay scrappy their whole careers. They're, like they're so I mean, Adam McKay starting a podcast company from one level is scrappy. He doesn't need a podcast company. He's doing fine. Mm-hmm. But this is that wanting to keep that energy feeding into the the big water wheel. Yeah. And um it's it I think my I'm not really in a position to give advice, but if I were to give one piece of advice, it would be Please. just do it. Like just make the thing do right. anything. I meet so many people who like go to film school and they're my age and they're like, well, how did you do all this? And I'm like, I don't know. I just did it. Like I just made something and then it became something else. And they're like, well, I don't know what it'd be, where to begin. Like people will think it's not good. It's going to be shit no matter what it is. That's right. Like, First time I go up on stage in New York and like, I don't know, whenever comedy clubs open again, I don't think I'll get a single laugh. Maybe I will. I don't know. No, you're but, right to go in with that expectation because it, that, that's the right attitude. Fail faster. It's going to fail. Yeah. So let's get the failures out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like just – but I'm just going to do it and I don't really care if it's – if it if it sucks because everything I've done has sucked at first. Like I'm, I'm not naturally gifted at anything. Uh, I, so. But I don't even know if anybody is. I, I've said this before on this podcast. I think people just people really like things and they yeah. enjoy doing them, so they become really good at them, and they don't That's even right. think that they've done them. That's exactly right. Bob Dylan, when he first got his guitar out, sang some bullshit cliche. I'm sure of it. I mean, the first time he was talking about your smiles like a rainbow or some nonsense. And then later when he's good, you can have the mystique and, and, and look cool. The example I always give is the first time Eminem tried a freestyle, he was terrible. Or you can say anybody like two chains, the first, the coolest guy, the first time two chains tried, people probably laughed. He probably did it with some friends. It was probably pretty weak or, or premeditated or, or something. And I'm not saying that to put down the great two chains. I'm saying that to say everybody sucks. So just get the sucking out of the way. Just go and suck. Get it over with. And then you can start getting good. 
I, yeah, I, I think that it's a, I think that it's dumb to think that you're so good that you can't make something bad or that you don't yeah. want to put out something bad. I think, you know, you're going to put out something bad sooner or later. So you may as well just do it. And, and just do the stuff that you want, because even if other people don't like it, at least you were like, I know what I was going for. That's, I think yeah. that's great. Yeah. And I've made things that didn't work, uh, or sometimes I'll make a video. YouTube videos are great. Cause you can just make one like in a day and then just make, put it out. And if people like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. And I have, I have a friend who, who does YouTube like professionally, and he is always like, well, which thumbnail should I use? Like, what should I do here? What should I do there? Like, how should I make the video more interesting? Like, what do I do to make a video interesting? And to me, someone who genuinely believes I make very interesting videos, <laughs> I'm just like, just do whatever you want to do. And he's like, no, right. the subscribers won't like it. Like, this won't happen. And I think that that's why I find his videos kind of boring. It's because that they're not... They're not what he wants. They're what he thinks people want or they're what like he thinks his advertisers will want. It's the and same thing as dating somebody who you get the feeling that they're doing the impression of the person they think you want. But that's not yeah. the person you want to be with. It's the same. Yeah. yeah, I love what you just said. Did you have something else? I thought you were done. Not really. I mean, I'm sure I do. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ari, I'm, I, I do do three-hour podcasts sometimes, but not on Sundays when Val is with the baby. Um, during quarantine, basically. So let's just real uh, to, to wrap up. Um, you listen to some of them. We always talk about some framework for the meaning of life. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm completely interested in if you have any uh, frame of reference for what's going on here, for awareness, for life itself, for being in outer space. Do you have any religious background or do you have any spiritual um, side? I I know you have some stuff to do, but I I was given a mission to ask you a question. By McKay? I, I, not by McKay, uh, by, <laughs> by my producer for an episode that we're making about street jokes. Street jokes, where, okay. Where I write a street joke. And the idea is that we hear it enough times that it gets passed around back to us. Oh. Do you have I any bet. advice for this? To write your own street joke? Write a street joke. Have you ever tried to write a street joke? Have you ever thought, let me, two guys walk into a bar type thing? Yeah. You know, I always think of that. I always think of when someone says, a, 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 it's not really a joke. It's more like a joke. It's like a line that people use. The la That's so funny. The last time I heard it, I laughed so hard I fell off my dinosaur. Is like, I thought the first time I heard that, it just blew me away. I was like, what a brilliant way of saying that joke is old. Mm. Um, but I, even in junior high, I was going like, who wrote that and where did it come from? Because like, I'm trying to think the only advice I would have is to study, which I'm sure you're already doing the most popular ones. I know they did an NPR about the most popular joke in America and I don't even really like it, but it's two hunters are hunting. Um, there's so many jokes about hunting. And then one guy gets shot and he's bleeding and he, and he, and he appears dead. So the guy calls 911 and he goes, oh, my God, my friend got shot. We're hunting. I think he's dead. What do I do? And the 911 operator says, well, first calm down, sir. Make sure he's dead. And the hunter goes, okay, bang. Now what? 
Um, I don't like that joke because it hinges on a sound effect. I think there's no good yeah. way to say bang. And yeah, I even think some people, I think I added the now what? Because when I heard it, it was just bang. Now um, what is a good punchline? I don't think I would have laughed if it was just bang. I'd like to think I improved it. Um, because it's it's. I don't want to burden anyone with telling a joke at a party where the key moment is them saying bang. I even felt stupid doing it, and I tell mm-hmm. jokes for a living. So I was sort of surprised that that joke was the most popular. But what what it taught me and what they revealed on the podcast was that what Americans like is jokes about someone being stupid. We like that like sort of ego edification of like, I'm not the idiot, that guy's the idiot. So if I had any advice, I would try to make sure that your joke is pointing out that somebody's stupid so we can all laugh at this imaginary person and feel smart. That's my advice. <laughs> That's good. I uh, I dated someone once who I thought – I they didn't laugh at anything I said, which is always like kind of weird because you're like – you make jokes and you're like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> and then like I, I finally heard her laugh at something and it was a sex joke. And I was like, oh, okay. So one day I just – said every sex joke I can think of and she was like I've never heard anything funnier and (laughs) the whole time I was dating her I was thinking to myself like this is fine but uh, like she was okay it was like a high school type thing but I was thinking to myself like what this is great for me because I get to know what I get to know I get to understand what other people think is funny Sure. And it was not a type of person that I normally hung around with. So it was interesting to see that type of humor and that and that style of, of, of joke. Well, now you're talking about the wrong laughs. That's what Lauren Michaels would say. They'd have a yeah. sketch and it would kill and it'd say, yeah, but it was the wrong laugh. I have a yeah. joke. Um, I had a joke where I, I would say, I don't say Merry Christmas because it offends people. I say, may the birth of the one and only true God, Jesus Christ, bestow a blessing of grace and peace upon your household. And then it gets worse. I go to the belittlement of every other false religion, lest you be left-handed or gay. So the joke was to make it as offensive as possible. And I started telling it in certain states, and it would get this response that was completely irony-free. It was just like, yes, Jesus is the only God. It's the only religion. Being gay is wrong. And I could tell by how they were laughing and cheering that I had to sort of stop doing the joke, except on talk shows around New Year's, I'll, I'll still do it. Yeah. But like, that's the feeling of the wrong laugh. You can make somebody like the aristocrats joke where you're just or um, there's different versions of, of gross out jokes where the point is to just say everything that's horrible. I don't. I don't really like that. But like, I'm impressed by the aristocrats joke in in the sense of how long can people do it. But it's also I don't find it funny at all. It's not. I don't. My favorite version of the aristocrats joke is is and I ruin it by saying this, but I'm not going to tell the joke. It's called "fuck you, clown." The, what you do is a guy goes to the circus. He's humiliated by a clown. He points at this kid and he goes like, "Look at this butterball!" And everyone laughs. So the kid grows up and studies. This is the part you make as long as possible. He goes to clown college. He studies with all the greatest joke writers in the world. He tours around as a stand-up comedian. Goes back, And that's the part you make as long as possible. Goes back to the circus. Same seat. Same clown is there. 
he points at him, makes another joke, and the guy stands up after all this training and goes, hey, fuck you, clown. And like that's the joke is that it's an anti-punchline. You yeah. think it's going to be great, but it's not great. That is the better version of the aristocrats in my in terms of jokes that I like to tell. But I think you need something quick. You Like somebody came up with how's the weather up there. Like the first time you met a really tall guy and he said, how's the weather up there? That's mm-hmm. somebody's creation. It just seems yeah. like part of the culture. If you can come up with a line like that, that that's sticky. That's stickier than like, because when do you tell jokes? But yeah, if you can absolutely. make it a circumstantial joke, like you should see the other guy. Somebody made up you should see the other guy. That's a fucking phenomenon. And the first yeah. time you said it, people died laughing. You know what I mean? So absolutely, I think that that's that. I think that that's really good uh, because, like, trying to think of a, a joke on itself, it's like, where do you even tell a joke? You know? Yeah. I, Never. I, the last time I think I heard someone ask me a joke was like someone who we'd call an uncle who wasn't really our uncle, and it's like, hey, kid listen to this one and like exactly dinner served and it's like in a weird three minute spot and yeah you don't need that nobody even wants to lend their attention to that yeah i mean they're too long so you need a how's the weather up there so you need to identify a phenomenon that's happening that every like what's hap- what happens on zoom calls that everybody knows the video freezes or whatever what is the funniest thing you can say when you come back from we didn't hear what you said. You even see it happening right now. I've seen mugs that say, I think you're on mute. Like it's already happening. Mm-hmm. So identify a recent phenomenon and a one line thing that anybody can use because everybody, what you'll be alleviating at that point is the tension. So jokes are boring. Nobody cares, but tension is unpleasant. So if you, if I have a black eye and I can say, you can see the other guy, I've employed the best part of humor, which is I've relieved tension. I've made myself high status. I was low status. I was a guy with a black eye. Now I'm high status. I'm making you all laugh. So find a situation where people feel tension that hasn't yet been overmined that you can have a quick line. I think you have a shot at getting a joke uh, in, in the uh, zeitgeist. That's yeah, that's great. That's, I think that's the best advice I've heard in, in out of all the people I've asked. So oh, thank good. you for that. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, do you have any God thoughts uh, just for the last couple of minutes? Well, I I listened to a few of your episodes, as I said before, and I'd sure. always, I always I find this question very daunting because <laughs> I feel like a lot of the people that I listened to were like 35 and had, had been through things, and I have not really been through anything. And True. But if I may, Ari, that might make you an authority – because somebody that's 35 is so lost in their persona, like even me, I'm a comedian and a father and, and uh, you know, I'm 41. I have all these things that I have to project onto you. And you're closer to the purity of unencumbered consciousness that is the goal of those seeking enlightenment, meaning it's basically to become like a child. <laughs> so like in a certain sense, you're more qualified. So let me just say, I don't need a profound answer um, and don't feel burdened. I, I understand the dauntingness, but like, do you get the intuitive sense that this is chaos? Do you get the intuitive sense that this is meaningful? Is, is there just like a, 
Do you, are you a like, there's nothing wrong with being a nihilist. In fact, if COVID shown us anything, it's how many people are nihilistic and they're just like, let's just fucking eat and, and have as much fun as we can. Cause there's something that's going to kill us at some point. Or do you go like, you know, cause reincarnation, like talking to you, I'm like, is this a reincarnated dude? Who's like, I'm not doing school again. Are you open to it? Ghosts afterlife? What, what interests you? To it, but there's nothing that that leads me to believe it's there. It's annoying. Like I'm I'm sitting here and I'm like ah, I wish all that stuff was true. But, sure. Like I haven't seen it, and it's like unless you turn on History Channel and you get some like stupid like oh there's a shadow in the corner. It must be the ghost of L. Ron Hubbard. Like Scientology <laughs> is the true religion. Uh, uh, other than that, I haven't seen anything that's like. I'm very much a person who's like, well, if I don't know it's true, it's not true. Mm. And um, I'm very open to be proven wrong. But at the same time, it's like I don't I don't have any belief in ghosts anymore. I used to be a big ghost hunter. But is that right? Oh, yeah. I was like, I'm going to stay up all night and I'm going to look for ghosts in the backyard. <laughs> and uh, I never saw ghosts. I never saw ghost ever all the people who said that they saw ghosts later told me they were lying uh yeah. unless it's like people who are like 40 or 50 or not children who are not trustworthy yeah uh, yeah 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 that's interesting well i i wonder if at some point and it you certainly don't have to but it would be really interesting to see what your brain would do with not knowing something but trying to understand the part of you that does the understanding the meaning I'd love to hear. Not, I'm not going to tell you sometimes in this point, I take the, you've listened. I like to take the opportunity to share some of my current theories or whatever, but I'd rather wait and somewhere down the line, see, hear the episode of stuff you don't need to know or things you don't need to know about consciousness, because that is the most interesting thing. When we say, mm-hmm. I don't see any proof of anything. It's like, when does the flashlight shine on itself? We're looking out when really it's like, the thing you're looking with is what we're talking about. That that's yeah. that's the riddle. Well, I when I was, I would consider myself very much an atheist. Uh, I was raised not really religious. My parents are pretty religious, not in like a like a go to church every week kind of way. More of in like a spiritual, like read every religious textbook. My sister's going through all that now. Like she has like the Quran and the Torah and the Bible and she's reading all of them and like all the other ones that I don't know about. Cause I'm not that into that type of stuff, but sure. they're all super into religion and spirituality and, and stuff that I don't really have much interest in. And it's really interesting because they talk about it every night at dinner and I'm just kind of like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what did you think he meant by this in the 67th page? And I'm yeah. like, I haven't read the book and they're like, you should really read the Torah. All right. And my mom's Jewish, but like, we're probably like one of the least Jewish families in the world. We don't even live on the upper West side. So <laughs> There's your opening line uh, for your standup. You've had a lot of good one liners. And I think, I hope you know where they are because I think you could scrap together your first 90 seconds of standup just from some of the things you've said in the pocket. I just mean of those one liners. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. But- any, I don't want to keep you too long, but I when I was when I was like seven or eight or maybe maybe a little older, maybe it was like ten or eleven. There have been two times in my life when I've been really scared to tell my parents something, and this is one of them. 
And it was that I didn't believe in God. And they were like, all right, that's cool. And I was like, I was almost disappointed because I was like, well, there's no pushback on that. No, like that's fine. Like you can believe that. And I was like, okay. And then the second time was when I said I didn't want to go to college. And they were like, oh, we didn't, we didn't care. They didn't care about that either. They were just like, all right. And they're all like, my dad went to Cornell. My uncle, uh, uh, I don't, I, I keep thinking of a good story and knowing that you have a family and uh, seeing the clock. Go ahead, go ahead. My uncle, the venture capitalist, went to Stanford. And every time I go out, he's like, well, you know, you should really consider college. Even now, like I remember when I first started my YouTube channel, it had like 500 subscribers. And he's like, why would anyone watch this? And I'm like, I'm making him out to be a terrible person. He isn't. (laughs) But but, uh, he's, he's... I go there and he's like, he always tries to tell me that I shouldn't go to college. So he takes me on a tour of Stanford and I meet like everybody that's anyone at Stanford. Cause he knows everyone. And we end up going to like the VIP box at the football game. And this is like, my family doesn't do this. This is like, it's like the rich uncle, you know? <laughs> so this is all like really fantastic, like free food. Like how much is the sandwich, sir? It's complimentary. Wow. Yes. I remember and- that first time he points out like there's, there's Condoleezza rice. And I'm like, I don't know what Condoleezza rice looks like, but I guess that's her. (laughs) You're looking for a bowl. (laughs) Like which one of the rices is Condoleezza? (laughs) So, you know, we we go around and he's like, he's talking about how great it is. And I meet guys who are doing like a hundred million dollar developments and we're watching the football game and, and we're on our, we get into his Mercedes and we're on our way out of Stanford going past the trees that Steve Jobs looks looked at. The funny thing about Stanford is that they talk about Steve Jobs like he's like their greatest alumni. He never went there. They would have never taken him at the time. Like he was just <laughs> some dude who was like bumming it on their property. That's and, so funny. Uh, so he's like, you know, these are just some of the things that college has to offer, like the community, everything about it. And I'm like, like, this is, this is awesome. Like my only question is, uh, are other colleges like this or is it only Stanford? And he's like, well, you know, Stanford is one of the better ones. Um, yeah, it's quite possible. It's only Stanford. And I think about it and I'm like, Oh, well, could I go to Stanford? And he's like, no, absolutely not. (laughs) 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 That's what you say to somebody that could go to Stanford. You don't say that if you're like, and you can't come here. That wasn't thanks for the free sandwich, but I could have used without the existential kick in the nuts. Exactly. So it's like, it was always kind of, I think if I'd applied myself, I could have gone, but I didn't care. So it was like, I didn't, I never wanted to do school. I never wanted to sit in the classroom. And and now this line got cut from the end of my how to drop out of school episode. So I'm going to say it now. If I had gone to college, I would not be making a podcast with one of my favorite directors. That's right. So perhaps. Perhaps. Beautiful. Man, I've really enjoyed this. I'm sorry to cut it short. Uh, I promised Val I would take over uh, at 3.30, so I do have to run. But clearly I could talk to you forever, and uh, I really want people to check out this podcast. I'm going to check it out because there's a lot more. I can just tell there's there's a lot more to to hear and to enjoy from you. So thank you for doing it. You feel good? Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I uh... – I was I was talking to a few people and they're like I'm gonna I'm gonna go on Pete Holmes podcast and people are like 
Who's Pete Holmes? That's hilarious. <laughs> That's Mike. Okay, if you want to talk about great opening lines, you sort of have to have a career. But Mike Birbiglia goes, I'm so happy to see you, but I know a lot of you, when you told your friends, I'm going to see Mike Birbiglia tonight, they replied, who? And uh, which is such a great self-deprecating way. So I'm glad that you you have the same instincts. That's wonderful. Um, well, we have the guest say the catchphrase at the end. I don't know if you listen to the end of Conan's, but that's what he did. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you please grace us with a keep it crispy? And I'll let you back to your uh, your plan to move to Manhattan. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't get to this part. I finished right after the religion thing. What am I supposed to say? You say, keep it crispy. I don't say the catchphrase. You say the catchphrase. That's that's okay. all it is. And anything after that? Nope. All right. Keep it crispy. There it is. Thank you so much, Ari. Appreciate you, Absolutely. man.